Welcome back to the Nuts and Bolts podcast. Tonight's guest, we have Mr. Ben Fisher back with us after uh, going to FXFC and uh, traveling around Europe with Jace and that whole competition. And uh, we were just going to go through some of their experiences while they were over there and things that they'd done. So how are you guys doing tonight? I'm, I'm good, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, yep. Mr. Clay, how are you doing? Man, doing well. Yeah, good deal. Well, uh, Mr. Ben, we just wanted to get you back on and, and talk uh, a little bit about uh, y'all's trip through Europe and uh, some of the experiences y'all had, uh, some of the stories that we've heard um, when we were at your event uh, there in Tyler uh, were really interesting um, and entertaining. So I uh, just wanted to share it with the public and, uh, uh, you know, get some of that out there. Um, like I said, you know, some of, you, some of your stories were just uh, really entertaining. Well, it, you know, you, you go and do something like that and, and it's, it's just like rat, rapid fire experiences happening to you every, every yeah. 30 seconds, some it, wild thing happens to you. It sounded um, like it. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was nuts. But, um, you know, Jace went over all of the, the flying details. He's been telling the story from the standpoint of the champ, you know, the guy that did all the hero piloting and uh, that's <laughs> great. You know, Jace, Jace is the expert for that. So we'll let him, we'll let him tell all the stories of the actual competition, but, um, yeah, we'll I, you know, a, we'll put a link to that, uh, YouTube video and yeah, he, yeah, he put up it. a, he put up a fantastic video that goes through all the details. And I tell you, if, if somebody wants to be a freestyle pilot and they want to know how much, how much attention to detail it takes, listen, listen to that and see how, how deep our man Jace gets into analyzing this stuff. It's, it's it's really something but um i was i was just along as the mechanic you know the mechanic and the setup guy and the driver and transport you know and <laughs> pizza delivery guy and <laughs> but uh yeah it, it was it was pretty trippy because uh, uh chris called me up and uh told me that i needed i needed to go because he he couldn't do it and uh, john ducia was prevented from doing it normally you know it would have been john john's right you know jace's regular mechanic that's the way they they run their operation people oftentimes they they ask you know how does that work well john is the mechanic and jace is the specialist pilot it it they run it a lot like a high-end auto racing operation where the driver in a you know, like in a, in a formula one team the driver doesn't work on the car because the driver mm -hmm. has a job to do the driver thinks about driving Right. And, you know, when he's not when he's not actually driving, he's doing simulation work or going over data, you know, that kind of a thing. Well, the right. Ducia operation is just as specialized. Chase, you know, when he's not flying, he's watching the other pilots in the contest fly or he's thinking about flying. That's his job. So it, the way it works is that, you know, normally uh, John does all the mechanicing duties. Well, John couldn't make it to France this time. He was prevented. And so I drew the straw. <laughs> and so they, they called me up and they said, oh, you need to go. And uh, it was about 830 at night. And they said that you need to book book a ticket and it needs to leave tomorrow morning. So that meant, you know, I just had about an hour to get ready, really. Oh, wow. Cow. Yeah. yeah so short notice. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, being being okay. So if you're in extreme flight, you got to have your, you know, you got to be ready. So always right. got my passport is up to date, and so <laughs> we did it. So then I next morning I got up early and drove to the airport. I only had time to throw. I just threw about three or four pounds of hardware and tools and just crap in my bag, right? Because I didn't know. I knew I mean, all I knew is well, we're going to be flying thirty five percent airplanes. I know 
Jason's basic setup. So I just took along the stuff I thought I would need to work on airplanes with his basic setup. And this is some basic spares, you know, just stuff from 120 CC airplanes. Mm-hmm. And we flew over and we land and, you know, we were taking such nice care of, we've got such a great dealer over there, Aerobertics. Uh, Bert is just the man and uh, he always takes great care of us. But the problem was, is, um, you know, getting airplanes all over the world from China to Belgium to the Netherlands and back, they ended up being late. There's so much stuff is late these days. So the airplanes ended up being late and they, they couldn't be finished in time. There just wasn't enough time to get them done. Hmm. And so we met these airplanes and uh, although everybody had worked their butts off on them, they're just because they were late, they were only about half finished. And so we had to build these airplanes really quickly. And uh, I couldn't video most of that. We were just we were just too busy. But um, man, I was so glad that I threw a bunch of stuff in the bag. Ended up using basically all of it. So it was it was it was a crazy experience. But we we managed to get the planes done, and um, Jay started flying them. And you know, I'm no great pilot. I'm no hero pilot. I'm not in any danger of winning any competitions. But uh, um, it is, it's really uncanny to watch how quickly that guy adjusts to things and, uh, the way that he adjusts to a new airplane, how quickly that happens. It's just amazing. I think about how many flights it takes me, you know, to get something dialed in and shh, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> we, uh, we were and in Belgium and the first thing we did was fly at the wings over Europe air show. And, uh, um, after a couple of days of flying the competition airplanes, it was time for me to pack those up. I packed them up and then, uh, the, uh, event organizer said, Oh, we need Jace to fly a demo. You know, there's important people here. And I'm like, well, okay, we just packed up all the airplanes. He's been flying for the last couple of days and maybe I can round something up. And our buddy, uh, Jean-Philippe Mayu guy, uh, we know over there, he had a 91 laser. Jace had never seen this plane before. And I went to Jace and I said, hey, they want you to fly a demo. Your planes are packed up. Jean-Philippe said you can fly his 91. And it had a different motor, a different exhaust. And Jace said they were flown in it. And just, you know, it was just this random airplane, right? Mm-hmm. And so Jace just says, okay. And he <laughs> takes the airplane and they get on the mic and they announce that Jace Ducey is going to fly a demo now for you now. And everybody starts to clap and everything. And this is the first moment he's flown the airplane. So he does what he does. He takes off shallow takeoff and then he does a rolling snapping sequence that takes about five seconds and at the end of this rolling snapping sequence then he you know does it does a turn it comes back around and the demo starts and that's all it takes it's just freaky i mean where was the cg on this airplane yeah (laughs) i was gonna say no from that snapping sequence like he's got a feel for the airplane and can take it from there yeah, from there on, Crazy. he's comfortable with it, and he can fly one of his demos, you know, at a very, very high level. Now, it might not get quite as low as with a plane he's totally comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there'll be a few places he's going to hold back if it's a borrowed aircraft, things like that. But man, it's 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 freaky to watch how quickly and that you know, it's anyway. I, that's always impressive to me. And that story, we'll we'll, we'll come back to that story a little bit later about yeah. how that figures into this. But. Um, well, yeah, I've seen ahead. him fly enough times now in person that there's Jay's flying at an event that's not a contest flight. Then there's a demo flight, and then there's a competition flight, and they're all different. Yes, and now this time we also identified a fourth kind of flight, which is a celebration flight. 
Oh, yeah. we got to see that. And that's, yeah. that's trippy as hell. But um, yeah, yeah he, we, he turned the heat up on that uh, celebration flight. I'll say that. Yeah, that's that's one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in the whole world of RC. I hope everybody's got a chance to see that thing. If not, get on get on our extreme flight uh, Facebook group. It's posted on there and it's the flight that Jace took after he won and, mm-hmm. you know, all of the pressure was off. And then he got the 104 inch laser and just let it rip to show what he could do when there were no rules placed on it. It's mind bending. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, one of the, one of the things that we had to do is, um, you know, we're going to this contest and it sounds when, when somebody's saying, you know, you got to get on an airplane, you have an hour to get ready and you're going to go to Europe, do this thing. And you don't really think about what it means, but what it actually is, is you got to drive all over Europe. And so we were going from the uh, German border, uh, with Belgium all the way down to Southern France. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I've driven in Europe a little bit. But um, we we took off. We we were well. Uh, Bert uh, gracious graciously let us use his van, and I've been in this van many times. This is a half a million mile old Volkswagen van that's got aero bar. It's actually got a pilot RC edge, a giant uh, wrap of a pilot RC edge. So here we are tooling all over <laughs> Europe, advertising for pilot RC. You know, <laughs> I love that. And uh, the uh, this old this old van, I've been in it a million times. And, uh, but I had never been in charge of the van before. And so we're like, oh, we have a million things we got to do to get ready for this trip across Europe. And I'm like, oh crap, I'm going to drive around Europe for a week. This will be interesting. And so we have to figure out, it had been a long time since I had been to European self-serve gas stations. I'd never been to a European self-serve gas station in Northern Belgium. We show up at the European self-serve gas station and we've got to fill up our brand new fuel jug. The fuel jug is metric. The oil is metric. The uh, pump is metric. Jace is doing complicated calculus. A couple of Americans that don't <laughs> use metric trying to figure out how the hell we're going to mix 40 to 1 synthetic with all, you know, and you, and they say, oh, with metric, it's easy. It's just divide by 10. Well, no, it didn't work out that way for us because we didn't have a cup that size. But anyway, so, but then it took us a good 10 minutes to figure out how to turn the pump on. This nice lady from Bulligan, Belgium came and she showed us how to turn the pump on. I felt really stupid. But anyway, <laughs> finally, we get the we, after all this stuff, we mix in the fuel and get the metric and figure out the pump out. None of the credit cards work. We finally find one that works everything and get it all done. OK. And then we also can fill the van up real quick and we go. And as we're driving back to the field, the van starts to poke, knock, 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 knock. Knock, 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 knock. And I'm like, oh, God, we didn't, did we? And we get back and I open the damn flap and the flap on the tank says fill with gazole. What the hell is gazole? <laughs> Turns out gazole is diesel. <laughs> and so we had just put we had just put prime 98 octane gasoline into the diesel. And so and, and with addition to having to get everything ready to go across the country, now we had to figure out how to how to drain uh 80 liters of uh 98 octane gas out of this diesel uh, van you know before it did any damage because if you run too much gasoline through there it'll eventually wear that pump out i was gonna say you're lucky that it was just doing knock knock (laughs) well yeah you know it's especially a well-worn in diesel like that if you watch that because after after this experience i went and I, i i researched it very heavily you can get away with it you could probably run a whole tank through there unless you were unlucky but you don't want to take off on your very important trip down to the south of france right. with a bunch of right. bunch of now now i know the correct <laughs> terms a bunch of petrol in your gazole <laughs> tank anyway 
so so jace jace you know being very focused jace is like okay we need to drain the tank and i'm thinking no we need to tell the guy that owns the van that we just effed up (laughs) thing in there (laughs) so i go and poor bert's trying to run his event he's trying to run his raffles and he's got a beer tent open and a thousand people want to talk to him i'm grabbing him by the collar i I need you man i need you man i gotta tell you some bad news i said i just put gas in your diesel thing and he's like oh god oh god and we gotta go out there (laughs) we go we go out there and it's it's so great this competitive mindset of never say die do whatever it takes to win i go out to the van and by the time we got out there uh, jace who had his dad john on the phone from louisiana john was on a job site talking to him they had looked up the service manual on the van jace had gotten our airplane tools he had gotten the passenger seat out and was digging down through the layers of that van <laughs> i could <laughs> he was in there all i could see was his feet <laughs> and he was he was about to hit pay dirt he was about to get to the gas tank but we got out there and bert said no 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 i got a mechanic i got a mechanic we're getting to do it and i'm like well that's a much better deal so <laughs> we we uh, we sent the van we got the van drained and while the van was being drained they fixed the brakes did the alignment man this thing was much better so we took off in that thing and we drove across europe drove through luxembourg and belgium and down to france and and uh, i think we got popped by one uh, speed camera at one point doing about 140k so bert if you get a ticket in the mail i'm so sorry man you have to let me know yeah anyway but uh, we, we made it down to leon and um you know all these arrangements had been made for jace weeks in advance and so jace had a pretty nice room to stay in. it was an apartment kind of a verbo type deal and one of our friends in uh in France had gotten for him. We dropped Jace off. Then they took me to my room, which was the last room available in Lyon. That was it. And it was at this kind of biker hotel place. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was What's up a on French a, biker gang. Like <laughs> a lot like an American biker gang, strangely enough. And so it was kind of at this biker hotel and it was a little bit rough anyway. And so we get in there and they, it was actually having a heat wave in Southern France. So it was about, I don't know, 95 or something in the evening, just hot and still. And I couldn't, of course there's no AC in these places mm-hmm. and you get up there. And uh, this was the last room available in Lyon. And I, I, I kid you not, the bed touched the wall on all four sides. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so there was a little you could you roll off the bed on one side and you roll into like the bathroom pod anyway so that was <laughs> the, like this is what it takes this is what we got to do so i uh stayed and then there were some nice nice people there was kind of a little courtyard because everybody's windows are open and there was this nice couple that stayed across the way and about about 9 30 or 10 o'clock every night they would start up the violence domestique and just start wailing on each other. I don't know if they were hitting each other with furniture or bats or what, but they were really <laughs> going at it over there. Anyway, and then eventually about midnight, they'd make up and make even more noise. But anyway, I was staying, I was, while Jace was up uh, on the hill with all the, all of the higher class folks, I was down in the biker hotel. And, nice. uh, but in, anyway, um, we would, you know, to go do this thing, uh, we would get up early, you know, we'd, we'd meet about six and we'd head out to the field and try to be, try to be out there and flying by seven, seven thirty. And Jace is just a machine. You know, he would, he, he will, he will practice all day long without a break because, you know, he's totally focused on winning and uh, man, it, it takes some work to keep up with a pilot like that. You got to be on, be on the ball. And, uh, um, you have to have your everything has to be organized because he flies two flights on a charge on his packs, on his receiver packs. Then they've got to be changed. And you're you're fueling fuel and smoke every flight, obviously. And you get, you know, anyway, 
you're also checking all your fasteners and you're going through the airplane and you're looking for any stress fractures or anything happening and you're keeping wing studs tight you're keeping canopy studs tight and you're checking prop bolt anyway yeah you know this it's it's a necessary position right of traveling mm -hmm. mechanic and uh anyway so that's that's what i concerned myself doing we had uh we had one uh, real bummer, just real bummer thing happened on uh, Tuesday night at the end of the, uh, of the day of practice. Uh, we were dialing in smoke pumps. Uh, he had Holy smokes pumps that Kurt Sider had sent over and uh, I was just bad luck. One of the lines, um, the, uh, the safety wire holding the line onto the muffler. Uh, it, something happened that, that, that end of that tube, something either was too tight or not. Anyway, I don't know. In, in retrospect, I don't know what really went wrong, but we had one of those smoke lines uh, cracked or split and came loose and it sprayed smoke fluid into the, the cowl Ooh. and uh, motors, the motor sucked up a good glob of it. And we landed then in, in it was an evening flight and we landed and the motor wouldn't hold idle anymore. And we messed with it and messed with it. And uh, it was really kind of interesting. We got with the U S we got with John Ducia first and, you know, Hey, can you help us out? He got with DA and it was really interesting. The DA guys were able to zero in really quickly that, you know, okay, probably you hydrolocked it. And um, so apparently we did. And uh, when you hydrolock uh, one of the cylinders on that, they knew that it's pr probably resulted in a twisted crank. So we had a slightly twisted crank on this, on this engine. Mm -hmm. And um, um, the, you know, which, which can happen when you run a lot of smoke from time to time, you know, every now and then you're going to hear about, somebody having a hydrolock event, um, you know, running a lot of smoke. But in this case, it was because that line, you know, apparently just spraying around inside the carb and some went up, went up in the carb anyway. So that was a late night motor change at the field and, uh, got the new one on there. And so then we're one day before the competition and the plane that Jace wants to fly has a brand new, fresh, unbroken in engine on it. And, uh, this this is really interesting when we you know we had to we went to a different field where there was nobody nobody uh, no other competition pilots practicing so we could get a lot more flights and um, in you know in half a day and you know one morning of flying the engine came in really nicely running it on forty to one redline um, the engine came in really nicely made great power everything was great we kept it cool it was fully baffled got to stress that you're breaking in a, you know, a uh, high performance engine, like a DA 120, you got to keep it cool. And so, you know, we just followed our basic rules and, you know, in the course of about 14, 16 flights, uh, we had the engine was broken in nicely and we had, uh, we had a, a good tune on it. And then that was the engine that he won the contest with. It was brand new the day before it started. Interesting. Uh, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, people, people, uh, argue endlessly for so long so long on the internet about how do you break in an engine mm -hmm, and right. uh, you know basically you know when you have to you can break in an engine you can do it properly and you can do it in half a day and you know you do it on your on your run oil and you do it during aerobatic flying you just watch temp you keep the mm -hmm. airspeed up right right anyway so that was that was an interesting thing having to do a <laughs> having to do a motor swap in the middle of the night the day before the contest that was fun but you know, we got it done and we had a spare da120 uh, again, thanks to Bert at Aerobertics, man, took care of us. And uh, every everything, when it came down to it in the contest, everything worked perfectly. We didn't have we didn't have any mechanicals really during the contest. Had to you know had to tighten a few things a few times, and that's it. Awesome. Uh, 
no, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good experience. Um, and you know, it's good for me to, to go and, uh, take care of these airplanes coming off the production line and take care of them over these couple of hundred flights that they get that are that hard. It's really like an accelerated wear program, you know? I get mm-hmm. to see what, you know, get to see if anything is going to break. I get to see it firsthand. We didn't have anything break, but, you know, have to, you know, tighten a few things down. You know, how, how, how many foul did we have to tighten the wing studs over the first couple of hundred hard flights? You know, what else did we have to adjust? And then there's not much. Yeah. Yeah. And that was on the new uh, V2 <clears throat> laser, wasn't it? Yeah. We managed, we managed to get, that was the first V2 laser into Europe. And, uh, yeah. And so, cause the V2, it would, you know, just, just a few little, a few little things that we've developed with Jace. I did a, I did a a live stream from France going over the V2 laser at the contest in between rounds. I showed the maintenance I was doing, went all inside and showed the setup. That's also on our extreme flight uh, Mm -hmm. Facebook page. And, uh, anyway, you can, you can see exactly how everything was set up, but it's just like the setup in the YouTube video that we did back in 2020. Um, with Jason John in their in their workshop in Michigan, right? It's it's yeah. you know a little tiny bit of the woodwork in the tail of the airplane has changed, and now it's got quick latches, but otherwise it's still the same airplane, same aerodynamics, same setup, and, and you know, and, yeah, but it, it worked really well. And then uh, that the 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 craziest thing we had to do. Uh, this is where this is where I, uh, I got to give tremendous uh, props to my 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 German buddies and all the help uh, because when you read the rules for this contest, it said, Oh, you're going to get uh, judged partially on special effects. Right. And so the special effects it listed, these are things like engine smoke or streamers or wingtip smoke, things like that. So we're like, Oh man, well, great. We'll just call Kurt, get Holy smoked pumps, put them on the airplane. We got our special effects taken care of. Right. Mm-hmm. No. So get there. And over the first couple of flights, Jace is in second place when it looks like, you know, he's, it looks like he's flying at least equal to Sasha. Maybe he's flying cleaner than Sasha, but he's behind Sasha. And so Jace is talking to the other competitors, talking to the judges as much as allowed. And we figure out that they're actually, uh, it's a multiple, the more special effects you have, the more it's multiplying some of your presentation, right? So the deal is Jace only had one special effect where a lot of other pilots had two or three. And so Jace is, you know, again, Jace total focused on winning, you know, another person might say, you know, Oh, well, you know, that's tough. Jace just comes to me and he said, we need wingtip smoke, make it happen. (laughs) 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 All right. So anyway, we start going through the the paddock and we're buying parts because what it basically is, it's an ignition switch, right? Mm -hmm. And it's an ignition switch with a little two cell lipo and, you have the smoke canisters and they've got little like model rocket igniters built into them. Right. 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 And so we had to put all this stuff together, figure it all out. And it was, I had never done a system like that. Well, team Germany, those guys are so awesome. They had been giving us beer and bratwurst literally all week long. (laughs) And, uh, they, they had a lot of experience with that. So they just opened their whole camp up and like 12 guys came 12 and it wasn't just 12 random guys. These are 12, totally experienced model aircraft fabricators and mechanics some of the best in the world guys like luca bauman dennis gutkowski they are pros right and um 
and all, and all of their friends are also an extremely high level. We have guys in there that work for engine companies and work for, you know, one guy uh, is a uh, pr- professional uh, Airbus technician. And okay. So these guys oh, wow. all just gangbang this airplane. <laughs> and in the matter of like an hour and a half, it has a beautiful, clean wingtip smoke installation, you know, Oh, That's it's really awesome. great. Anyway, so we figured, you know, and I, I learned the procedure so I could take care of the thing the rest of the rounds. Okay, now here's where it gets really interesting to me. So we did this, and these canisters um, burn for about two minutes of the flight. So you trigger them in the middle of the flight, right? And so um, when they are on the, the plane before they start burning, you got most of a pound out on the wingtip of the airplane. So this airplane normally weighs 26 pounds. Now it weighs closer to 28, and a lot of that is out in the worst possible location, right, out the tip. So now there's no more practice. We're in the middle of the contest. We're now in the semifinals. So the first flight of the semifinals is going to be Jace's first flight with the wingtip smoke canisters, right? First of all, I've just got everything, fingers crossed, toes crossed, that I didn't screw up and it's going to (laughs) work. And uh, so – Jace is going to have to fly the routine perfectly, but now he has to fly it with, you know, most of a pound on each wingtip. So what do you think he did? Well, all he had me delay starting the music because we had enough time. He could put about 30 seconds of delay in there. And so he takes off and what does he do? Does his shallow take off and he starts his rolling snapping sequence <laughs> just like he does when he picks up somebody's janky ass plane for a demo. You know, not that most of them are jab, but occasionally he gets handed a janky one. Right. Um, I know when he flies one of mine, he probably he probably thinks it feels janky. But anyway, he, <laughs> he does his rolling snapping thing and it just takes up him about 20 seconds. And then he come, he said and he just said, OK, I'm ready. And I flagged off the music and it was perfect. And he thousand that round. That's and, awesome. Yeah. How how many people could could take an airplane, add almost a pound to each wingtip, take 20 seconds to feel it through a couple of rolls and snaps, and then fly the best freestyle sequence in, in the world that day. Right. Anyway, so that I was really glad I got to see that. That was totally cool. Just just amazing. And uh anyway, the and of course, it was great because when this wingtip smoke came on, all those Germans just started shouting and cheering and blowing air horns and everything. <laughs> they really adopted Jason and I because they had helped us so much. And, and those guys uh, were working a deal. I think about a half dozen of the Team Germany guys are going to come to Nall in the spring. And uh, we're going to try to get them in an RV. And I'm going to take some planes up there for them to fly. Oh, and, that'll be uh, cool. Yeah, so I, I yeah, could hear so, the hear the cowbell and stuff, and them hooting and hollering while Jace was flying. It was pretty cool. Oh yeah, well that 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 cowbell, that big ass cowbell, that was Team Switzerland. Oh, and <laughs> uh, they have they had okay. I never quite understood what the deal was. I got a picture of it. I put it up on on Facebook. Um, it was those those guys. Jean Jean, our, our buddy Jean Philippe is one of the guys there, and he was helping out Team Switzerland. And they had something like their ancestral. Uh, mountain village cowbell of prosperity or something. This hmm. big old thing was probably, I don't know, 500 years old and everything. That's what they were ringing out there. And oh, wow. I had them three times. I tried to understand what the hell this thing was. No, I couldn't follow it, but it was really, really cool. So team Switzerland had more cowbell for sure. <laughs> and you can hear that thing <laughs> ringing all the time, uh, man, that, that contest was, was so much fun. And it was, the people were so nice and everything was so great except the only bathroom on the site was literally a five gallon bucket with a plastic bag in it they do that a little Mm. differently over there uh besides that um 
I've, I got a, I've got a picture of that on on the web too. Um, I think I captioned it "Shitters be wild over here" or something like that. But <laughs> anyway, uh, it was besides besides that one thing. It was premium, 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 and everybody was just really really amazing. They gave away a ton of prizes. Um, Jace has got this big orange 3W engine, which you know it's going to be just a trophy. It's just going to be in his trophy case because it's you know not going to fly a 3W. But that was pretty cool. I mean, to give away yeah. stuff like that. And uh, now I yeah, had had an ama- had an amazing time. And then after we uh, got done, after Jace got done winning, and then he ripped off that amazing victory flight that everybody needs to go see. Uh, a lot of people they don't believe it. They see it and they don't believe it because he comes by that first that first pass after takeoff, he comes down the runway in rifle rolls. And that's, that sound is the wingtips of the laser ticking the tarmac in these rifle rolls. Mm -hmm. And that sound, that ticking, that's the aluminum smoke canister mounts bumping off the ground. It is, it is what you think it is. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, then we, then we had to pack everything up. We threw everything in the van and we had to drive uh, six and a half hours across France. We left at about eight thirty at night, and we had to drive six and a half or seven hours up to north of Paris. And then this is totally cool. Um, our buddy uh, Sebastian Roger, uh, who was one of our hosts there, and he did most of the logistics for us. He had set up the most amazing thing. Then for Monday morning, we go out to this flying field north of Paris, and we got to meet and fly with Christophe and Benoit Pissant Leroux. Um, you know, Christoph is the pattern legend, mm-hmm. um, the okay. ultimate F3A pilot legend of, of our generation. You know, the guy, you know, he's been champion. He's the, the perennial champion. Uh, and he was out. Not only did they come out there, but uh, Christoph brought along his Orecas, his current, you know, the mega successful F3A pattern plane. And he let Jace fly his Orecas. Um, and, um, Jace did a, did a freestyle routine with the Eureka F3A and then, uh, Christoph flew the, uh, laser and did a very, very credible job flying Jace's freestyle laser. And I was, I, I had such a good time talking to Christoph and Benoit. Those guys have forgotten more about model aviation. Than most of us will ever know. And I got, it was just so cool because, okay, if you haven't looked at an Eureka, go look at Christoph. Pessant LaRue's Oreca design, the current winningest F3A plane. Radical. It's like a spaceship, right? It's a triplane. It's like a modified triplane with uh, short wings, canalizers for the top and bottom. And then the main wings are very swept back. They've got a cranked arrow leading edge, and they've got these little SFGs on them, right? And I've I first saw this plane back in 2019 and I probably had 50 photos of it on my, on my stuff. And, Cause I always thought, Oh man, I wish I could talk to Christoph. And I wanted to ask him how he developed these little SFGs for the end of the wings. How did you, you know, why'd you do this? Why mm-hmm. does your design have this? Well, uh, here we are. The wreck is right there. Christoph Benoit right there. And I'm like, okay, okay. I've been waiting to ask you about the design of this airplane. Right guys. And I said, look, I said, this is amazing. I want to talk to you about all these things, but first I've got to ask what made you try an SFG on the tip of an F3A plane. And Benoit just says, Oh, we've got a 3d hobby shop edge demonstrator. And we like the SFGs on that. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so it kind of squared a circle there. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's funny. I, I feel like a that anyway. Yeah. Apparently that was what got them thinking about, uh, about yaw generation devices was flying their demonstrator and it's got big old SFGs on it. Anyway, and we talked a lot more about airflow around that shape and those guys are amazing. Anyway, loved it. It was great. 
anyway, that was, and then we drove back across Europe, back to, back to Belgium and then got on a plane, came home. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so and what's I, it like crossing those, uh, borders? Is it, do you have to go through like customs or anything like that no, every time you cross? No, no. If you, if you're within the EU, they've done away with all of that. It's, it's entirely transparent. Oh. And so, uh, um, no, there's no, no, no problem with that. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that. I, you know, it, there, there are other things you could do as far as seeing Europe than barreling around in the middle of the night in an aerobatics van with a pilot edge on the side. But Hey, it was, <laughs> it was still pretty cool. Okay. One thing that was kind of neat is we were, we were in the middle of France, right in the middle of France, in the middle of the night going across France to get up to Paris by Monday morning. And we get out of the van and we're just tired. I mean, we are beat and it's just going into a truck stop at, you know, midnight, right? We go into this truck stop at midnight and we're walking inside. And all of a sudden this group of guys at the door says, Jace Ducia. And he had fans there. And these, <laughs> these guys, they were on their way home. They had driven that morning from Normandy, even farther way on the Northwest side of France. They had driven down to Lyon to watch the final round. And then they were driving back to Normandy and they were stopped at the same truck stop we were at. So they recognized Jace and they wanted autographs and different things. And, and this, this, one of these guys, um, he's talked to me, he said, Oh, I wanted to meet, he said, I wanted to meet America. I want to know. He said, do you know about muscle cars? And so I'm like, dude, okay, I'm there no Jace Ducia, but I started pulling out pictures of Mustangs and things that on he, anyway, we had a very quick, almost wordless meeting of the minds about muscle cars because he he was like the only guy in normandy that owned a trans am like a bandit car what nice. yeah that's awesome how, that's cool how would you even i mean how much did this guy have to spend to own a bandit car in france but it's his prized possession and i like bandit cars i think they're cool yeah. so i was showing him shelby mustangs he was showing me bandit car anyway you know just that kind of a thing you can meet someone and total total separation of cultures and language or whatever but you still know you're just best buds and uh anyway so that was cool to meet those guys in the middle of the night yeah that is cool yeah one of those popped up on my facebook the other day 33 grand can you believe that they're that expensive now? And you think about how many of them, you know, you saw roll past you 20 years ago with like, you know, primer and crap on it. And you could have got it for 500 bucks. Right. Well, this one was a, this one wasn't a true bandit car. It was silver and it had some aftermarket wheels. It didn't have the honeycomb wheels. Had a 403 uh, red interior. So it was all original colors and, that car, and all that, but it was a, uh, that nope. car had a 403. That meant it would have had a quadra jet on it. And that meant that when you hit it, you couldn't hear the mufflers. All you could hear was the boo <laughs> from <laughs> the quadra jet exactly. sucking air. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Well, the one thing that threw me off is it had a uh, 6.6 on the shaker. And I was thinking the 6.6 was uh, not the, I guess it would be a 403 yeah. now that I think about it. Yeah. The 455 was the big motor though, but that'd be yeah. a 7.5 liter. So yeah, man, we're gonna start talking about cars here, and we're not gonna be an RC airplane <laughs> podcast anymore. And then I'm gonna drag you guys over to the topic of fine Shelby Mustangs, and you'll never get me to shut up. But yeah, I well, oh, oh, a lot oh. of this information also passed between me and this French gentleman because he had the the 455. And you know what I think about what it took that guy to get parts for that thing, but he had a 455 yeah. in his in his Trans Am, which was just supremely cool. 
uh, well, if he's at Superfly next week, I got someone to introduce you to. I mentioned him down at Tyler the other day, but uh, my buddy Frank, he's, I think, 84 years young. He raced Pikes Peak with a 455 Trans Am. Oh, so, yeah. I want to yeah. talk to that guy. Man, Pikes Peak is my white whale. I do still want to. I do still want to do that. Hey, I may get to uh, knock another one off my bucket list, though. I just got asked to join a very small-time uh, Reno racing operation that a buddy of mine is putting together. And uh, I, just, I just said yes. I, I don't think he even finished asking the question, do you want to help crew my Reno racing? I'm like, yes, because <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't done the Reno thing yet. And mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, he's got the airplane. It's little Formula One. And uh, um, it's uh, he's got the airplane under construction and uh, it looks like it's actually going to happen. And so um, he wants to start putting team together. And so he's like, yes. And so then I also I think I'm going to get to design the livery. I'm going to I think I'm going to get to design the paint scheme for it, which you don't know how geeked I am about that to get to design paint scheme oh, yeah. for a Reno racer. Because most of those things, they're pretty little airplanes, but most of them are not painted very nicely. Because usually on a, in a racing operation, you know, paint's the last thing, right? You know, you right. got to get the get the bloody plane running, and you know, there's no time. Stick a number on it and go. But no, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to make this look nice. I think that's what's cool about some of the uh, the warbirds, and I don't know the different classes of Reno races, but some of the warbirds, like the uh, the P51s, the uh, Bearcats, uh, things like Sea Furies, some of those have some really awesome paint schemes. I think. Oh, some of those operations are just no expense spared. Yeah. Obviously, obviously there are people there that this is, this has been a life goal of a very successful person and it's going to be perfect. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of these, some of these are, yeah, I suppose the most famous airplanes in, in the world, you know, rare bear, you know, in it's different iterations been one of my favorite, favorite airplanes and, yeah. Oh, you know, checkmate September Fury, all these airplanes, some of which don't exist anymore, you know, because they, they don't last forever. Right. Yeah. And well, things happen to them. Yeah. Look, galloping ghost, unfortunately then. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's always mo- most of the time when these airplanes are written off, you know, it's usually tragic because that's a, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous damn game. Um, mm. Flying, flying big, heavy, warbird iron down low these guys take a lot of risks and uh yeah and then what's the one that uh tom richard flew it uh and what was the name of that plane something metal it was yellow and like polished aluminum is that the one that had the counter rotators yes it had the griffin engine and it caught on fire yeah Precious metal was that precious it? metal. That's it. Yeah, you know those those airplanes are amazing. Think how many thousands of thousands of man hours goes into prepping something like that, and the money just unbelievable cubic yeah. yards of money. But hey, you know I'm I'm the kind of person I'm so glad things like that exist. <laughs> yeah. You know, make the world a cooler place. Yep. Well, anyway, I, I haven't done the Reno thing. I've been kind of saving it, and uh, oh, hey, it looks like here some point next few years i could go and do the reno thing i'm excited about that and i you know it may not happen but i think 75 percent chance it will so i'm excited about it yeah well if you get out that way we got someone for you to meet uh our buddy rod elliott is out there in fernley nevada just down the road from reno 
and uh, that's a good guy to know. So he's actually the one I was talking to you about wanting to do the uh, two muscle pipes together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the twin the twin bite. Yeah, uh, I hope he does. That'll be a cool project. That'll be really cool. Oh no, I'd love to love well, to help out with that. Well, if you f- find your way to Reno, definitely uh, let us know. We'll get you in touch with Rod. Oh yeah, love to do that. He'll, he'll have you taken care of, guaranteed. Hey, uh, what did you? Uh, since you got to got to see it flying, everything. What did you think about the the big muscle bite? Because uh, you you're one of the few people that's seen that thing fly in person now. Uh, I am. F- thoroughly impressed by it in many ways uh i would say the most impressive thing for me is its sheer size and the weight it comes in at for its size for a plane that big to weigh 38 pounds that just blows me away um the other thing i think you have uh captured a fire in a bottle or or whatever the phrase may be with the quick disconnect system that is mm-hmm. on that aircraft. I think that is amazing. You've got a biplane that you can now assemble in the same time that you can put together a typical monoplane. Yeah, we did a, we did a timed run on the 200 CC bike and it was with Tim, with Tim doing the work and me sitting back and yelling at him and timing it. It was about four minutes and yep. uh, that was pretty good. You know, those, those quick connects, um, you know, this is one of those periodic times of change in the industry when you have this realignment where suddenly this becomes possible and then it becomes demanded. Everyone expects it. And you actually have people that one of the major criteria for buying an airplane, we get a lot of questions. The most common question we get these days, does this particular airplane have quick connects? Now, you think back five years ago, no one had ever seen that. No one had ever thought about it. No yeah. one would ever have asked. it. Would, but now that it exists and it's expected, that's now the industry is being pushed rapidly. And uh, yeah. and then you know, in five years, we won't think about it again because it'll be so commonplace. So yeah. the the in the past, though, the big complaint and the big thing that kept people away from biplanes was the complexity of a field assembly. Yeah, assembly of the field. Yep. And yeah. and boy, I, I've I've. Uh, yeah, I, I've lived through that. I've had a bunch of, I'm kind of a biplane nut. And I've had a bunch of biplanes that all took forever to yep. assemble. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got some of the uh, prototypes that I'm flying right now of biplanes that Chris and I are working on for extreme flight. If the quick connects, if we don't have sufficient stock of the quick connects and it's time to put a, a particular prototype together, I kind of shed a tear because I know that I'm going to have to screw it all together and it's going to, going to be a drag. Now I'm getting spoiled too with the quick connects. Yep. And, uh, I managed to, to snag quite a few, uh, quick latches when I was working on the, uh, Peregrine project. But then when I started on the uh, ultimate at that point, I was out of stock and Chris was out of stock. And so I had to put together the first couple of ultimates with screws and boy, it was like going back to the dark ages yep. and, you know, I'm out there at the field putting in all these screws to put all the struts and everything on there with no flying wires or anything. Those guys that have the pits with the flying wires, you got to ad- admire their dedication because that takes forever. But, okay. uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I like it too. I like it too. Quick connection so, to the way. The, the other thing I think that impresses me the absolute most 
is to see that airplane do the inverted Harrier. And I know that that seems basic, but it just doesn't look like it should do it. And it does it very well. It does it really well for a staggered, for a positive staggered uh, biplane, because, yep. you know, when you, when you stagger the wings uh, on, an, on a biplane, you're biasing the airplane one direction or the other. You're opening up that flow channel between the wings and um, the, the muscle bypass positive stagger. And a lot of times we're used to a positive stagger airplane being funky inverted, but we've got this one where it's absolutely not funky. It's just totally rock solid. I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And I think you guys did an excellent job with the, uh, the colors, the overall scheme choices are very classic and uh, just really clean, classic looks. Uh, the muscle pipe would not look appropriate with one of the wilder schemes that may be appropriate for something like a slick or an edge or even an extra. Uh, it needed that cool, just very classic look about it. And I think you guys did a good job with both the blue and the red on that one. Well, thanks. The, uh, the scheme, you know, comes off of Jimmy Franklin's Waco, Waco, um, the, uh, the mystery ship. The, you know, he modified a bunch of them with that single cockpit and different things. And we kind of are modeling that particular airplane for the muscle bike. And so he has that classic scallop scheme, right? His was black and silver. We're not going to do a black and silver airplane. It would just turn into a pretzel. But um, yeah, but that that scallop scheme works out really well. You know, I, I had this blue one done um, and I picked that that dark blue color. It's my, my favorite color. And I thought, yay, I'm going to have a unique I'm going to have a completely unique muscle bite because the production colors are going to be red and yellow. But then everybody saw this blue one and they, I think they just blew Chris's phone completely up asking for the blue one. So now we're doing the blue as a third production scheme. Oh, wow. And yeah. So that's anyway, kind of rare for you guys to do three schemes too. Yes. Because we had it all, it was all done. It was all finished. It was all, we, you know, it was going to be red and yellow and everybody just started clamoring for the blue. And then, uh, so then uh, that that dirty so-and-so, Tim Hanstein, he has his <laughs> that he's assembling right now. And he also got a, a, a another color. And because it's going to be too late to make it a production color, he'll actually have a unique one. So, you know, I'm a little bit jealous there. But, so uh, you guys never said, but I had a suspicion I know what color it is based off of its name. Well, yeah, I mean, we gave them stripper names, you know, Chris's is Miss Scarlet, mine's Miss Sapphire, and we're calling Tim's Miss Platinum, so you can probably figure that out. But anyway, I, but yeah, Tim and I worked up the uh, color scheme, you know, with the stripe color and everything for his, and it's, and I've, I've, I've seen the pictures of it, because he sent me pictures, he couldn't, he couldn't wait when the container came in, he ripped into that box in about two minutes, and uh, pulled the cowl out, and it is so, it is sexy. Anyway, he'll he'll start flying that one here before too long, and everybody will say, oh, we want that color, but nope, it's too late. Can't have that color. So one of the things that blew me away when you guys come out with the uh, 70cc muscle bike was Chris came to Ice House and was running a Sato 90R3 on it, and I realized it's not going to perform like a regular two-cycle engine, you know, like your DA200 pulls that thing around like it's nothing uh but man the sound of that radial was so cool for guys that want to fly traditional aerobatics yeah and, but i mean he still he still hovered it and harriered it and harrier rolled it around a little bit and even with that with that 90 uh cc uh radial 
the uh, 85 inch one it performs fine uh, oh yeah you, know, you can three for mild 3d and that's really what the plane's for the plane's not for xa right um you know it's it's and it, with with the radial it does fine the uh, we took it really easy for a while flying the yellow one on the radial because neither one of us had much radial experience because you know we're 3d guys we've never you know never been a thing before and uh, we wanted to break it in easy and get experience with it and everything and now chris just tosses that thing around and just flies it's like any of the rest of our aircraft well where i was going with that is is i'm waiting for someone and it will happen i'm certain or i'm i'm very hopeful and i'm certain that it will i want somebody to put a 250 moki on the big muscle bike on a big one yeah that would be cool oh it, it'll it'll happen um yeah the uh the good. as far as as far as cow fit it's no problem um it's gonna be a little heavier than the uh four cylinder install but that's it's not a problem um the airplane has a nice long tail moment it'll be really pretty simple to uh balance out the radial we did a little back of the envelope math the other day and i think it'll take about a pound of tail weight um to balance out the uh, 250 so you're talking about an airplane that's that big with the 250 coming in at about 45 pounds. It'll be great. That that's nothing. That's going to be yeah. It's going to well be within fantastic. its envelope. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not going to do it because I you know there are other things I'd rather spend those thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on. But mm-hmm. I am certain that someone's going to do it. The other thing to say about that big muscle bike is it's so light that you know I you know i i love having the 200 in there and it's so it sounds so great and so impressive but you know if i were doing that plane just for me not as a demonstration aircraft i would have put a da150 in it for more scale like performance you think well it only weigh about 36 pounds that's fine that's mm-hmm. that's that's going to be fine it, it, it'll pull out a hover it'll do all the things it would be a pretty darn good combo for uh you know low and slow classic 3d and so i would have just put a, put a 150 on there and it'd been great and um you know when an airplane's that light you've got a lot of options well that's uh that's good to hear because there's lots of 150s and 170s out there uh needing a home well, it'll so. be it'll be a good place to 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 stick one of those, and you know it's it, yeah it it's it's a lot of fun. Um, the so yeah that was that's been a big deal since the last time that you guys had me on here was getting that project done and getting that that big airplane flown and getting the stuff done with it. That's been that's been a lot of fun. I'm glad it's worked out. It's always nerve wracking, you know. If, first of all, it's always nerve wracking sticking ten thousand dollars up in the air. That's just, right that's just nerve wracking. You're like, yeah. Oh shit. You know, did I yeah. leave a screw loose or something? And it's just, you know, weighs on you until you get some flights on it. But also just, you know, you know being able to, you know, to get them, get the project done, get it in production. Cause those things are, they're coming in sometime. I don't know, January ish. I mean, I, I, I try and stay out of that part of things. I let Chris, <laughs> I let, I let Chris worry about when things are arriving. I just worry about getting drawings pumped out, but um, they're coming in and, and it'll be so cool. Cause I, I still get so excited when an airplane that I worked on, you know, when people start building it right now, I'm just, I'm having kittens because people are building the first peregrines and I'm, I'm all excited and nervous and everything happy about that. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting right now. I got my phone here because uh, Seamus Coughlin is 
probably maidening his it's it's 8 30 at night and dark and i think seamus is maidening his with wingtip lights right now <laughs> and uh anyway that's how excited he is about getting it in the air so i'm well i i still get so excited when people are flying the first ones of the new design and yeah. uh, another oh, another biplane oh seamus from the land of cheese up there i met that guy out in <laughs> tucson and was totally let down. I was led to believe that all people from Wisconsin talked like Charlie Barron's. <laughs> and here I meet, I meet Seamus, and he's like completely normal. I'm like, dude, come on, aren't you from Wisconsin? I now I don't know if I ever would have chosen completely normal as being my first choice to describe Seamus. Well, accent wise, yeah, know, he doesn't well, he doesn't have that uh, Manitowoc minute accent. You know? <laughs> No, no, he doesn't. But man, that that is that is a cool dude. I've really enjoyed getting to know him. He is yeah. he is a genuine good guy that enjoys model aviation. Yeah, he's a good dude. And he he he's part of those those you know great white northerners that they get around. You see them all over the country. There's yeah. there's certain certain people from up in those cold places that they just think nothing of driving 24 hours to go to an event. Him, he's kind of subtly everywhere. And Terry Wiles is kind of subtly <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he'll just show up on the East coast someplace. And you're like, dude, how'd you get here? He goes, wow, it was only 32 hours. And like, <laughs> <laughs> only. Yeah. I but, talked to, uh, I talked to Terry the other day and he's going to, uh, he's coming down here for an event. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, man, it's only 16 hours. I'm like, only okay <laughs> okay so i'm glad you think that way he's uh peer pressured me into uh building one of his deuce coops do you know what that is uh i heard him mention it the other day when he's building that cub that he's working on uh or a cub like aircraft i guess i don't know maybe that's it i'm not sure yeah so uh, the 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 deuce coop is a radically altered clipped wing Taylor craft as I guess the best way to describe it. I think it started out that it was supposed to look like a Taylor craft and then he just kept modifying it for better performance. And now it looks like a, it looks like a, a hot rod. It's just, it's just a hot rod. And so um, he's, he's convinced me to build this thing and I I'm into it now. So I'm going to, I'm going to build this do scoop. It's, it's 110 inches high wing for a 70 to 76 CC. Right. So I, uh, I got with Joe from GP and for a long time, Joe said, you know, I, you, if you ever want to do a custom engine, you know, talk to me and we'll make something happen. So I, I called in that favor. Right. And so going to, because the motor is completely exposed on the front of the deuce, um, talked to Joe and we cooked up a kind of a radical looking engine. So that's what I'm going to put on the front of that thing. Yeah, and awesome. then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked to my buddy Jason from down here in Texas, who does my metal fab, and uh, I uh, I asked him. I said, "Can we do an exhaust like this?" And he got all excited and started making sketches and things. So I think it's going to have a pretty crazy exhaust on it. And so this is going to be a bizarre, a bizarre airplane. But I I'm excited about it. And yeah. uh, it's because it's going to be because it's going to be bizarre. I think what I'm actually going to do. I think I'm actually going to do an all ultra coat version of the heavy metal mxs scheme oh boy do you just yeah. do you just love covering <laughs> kind of do well okay so that but that i i love that heavy metal mxs scheme you know aaron bates designed that years ago and i consider it to be one of the great works of art in the rc world that scheme to me is one of the ultra classics uh, but it's printed 
you know, he he, he designed it as a, a as a printing file. And now that you know, print print schemes are going the way of the dodo. The market has decided that they're they're not a good they're not a good uh, value proposition. And you know what the market decides. Obviously, if you're producing products for the market, you've got to give the market what it wants. And so we're we're phasing out the vast majority of our printed schemes, particularly our giant scale printed airplanes. So we're not going to have any new heavy metal printed MXSs, which kind of brings a tear to my eye because it's such an awesome scheme. Um, I've got I've got one, and not only have I got one, but I've got some spare parts for it, so I can keep it flying for a while. Uh, but uh, I think, kind of in homage to that, I think I'm going to do a do an ultra coat version of it on my Deuce, which I think would be I think would be really cool. So yeah. we'll we'll see. And then I have the best intentions, and then I get behind on my schedule, and I end up covering it in all reds. What usually happens to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a uh, that's good. I'd like to say I saw Terry laser cut out. Uh, you know, I, I guess that's what he's working on right now is the Deuce Coupe, and I saw him mentioning the name of it and uh i'll be honest i haven't followed that build that closely but i was talking to our buddy mike this morning and uh he made a comment and i wish i could remember exactly what he said but it was something along the lines that i'm convinced that terry is an alien or something like that (laughs) because he can build these things so fast now you see here's here's the actual secret is he has elves well, I told Mike that I was like, "Well, Ben's convinced he has elves." Yeah, elves. so he thought that was good. <laughs> well, and of course, so 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 Terry will will send you pictures of a build, and it'll he'll be all apologetic. He was saying, "Well, I had to do this really quickly, and it didn't turn out as nice as I wanted, and there's little errors here and everything." But I basically got this done, and then the picture comes across, and it's this freaking perfect assembly that's completely clean and beautiful and everything and you know museum quality he's such a pimp anyway so <laughs> i'm sure mine's not going to be nearly as accurate as as terry's but it looks like a really fun airplane so yeah anyway like i said he peer pressured me into it i'm gonna i'm gonna go with it that's gonna be awesome yeah he's one of those guys that inspires me to want to build and then i start putting stuff together it's like this sucks yeah. this is he'll way harder wanna, than he makes it look he'll make you want to hang it up and quit because <laughs> it's all it's all so perfect yeah like this is way harder than he makes it look uh, you know i i like i like to stick with the things in the computer you know inside my computer everything is perfect and clean and nice and there's no none of, none of my ugly fingerprints on the outside of it and anyway, I like the, I like the world of CAD, man. I like 3d CAD where everything is perfect and clean all the time. You know, you know what I just did, you know what I just did in CAD. We uh, doing something pretty cool. We're doing something pretty cool. So, um, it was, it's neat. So we go and spend this time in France. Right. And, um, one of the things that, you know, you do is you watch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flights. And I also got a chance to talk to, you know, talk to some of the top freestyle pilots in the world. And it's, you know, if, if you squander an opportunity like that, it's, it's only your own fault if you don't learn something from that kind of stuff. I was also, you know, in a van with Jace Ducia for thousands of miles talking about nothing but freestyle flying. And so, of course, after an experience like that, when you come home, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to design a new freestyle airplane. That's what you're going to do. And so that's what I've been doing since I got back from France is I've been designing a new freestyle airplane. And now it's done and I'm excited. See, in that amount of time, so that to me is amazing. It's amazing to see Terry build things, but then the rate at which you and some other guys out there 
can design something in CAD blows me away. Meanwhile, like I picked up a CNC router from Jason Donhockel at uh, the Tyler event, and I've been so busy with work, it's still in my trailer. <laughs> I'm going to say it's still sitting in the same place. But see, but yeah. see, you said you've been busy with work, whereas for me, the particular job I have, that's my work. I get to spend, you know, 60 yeah. hours a week plus on it. You can, you can get a lot of things done if something is your primary job. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but that's what's freaky about Terry is RC's not his primary job. I still think he has elves. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, now this is, this is really good because we did a bunch of scribbling on, uh, French napkins when we were in France, um, talking about, you know, what, what could we do to, to score a little higher? What could we do to maximize things a little more? Where could we take out a little dead weight, things like that. And, um, so we got everything done in concept. We had the concept for the airplane. Jason, and I cooked it up. I warned Chris, I said, just, I said, be aware we're talking up a new airplane. And, uh, you know, Chris is just the worst airplane geek in the whole world. He's like, cool, cool. Can't wait. He's ready for it. And so when, uh, when I got back, we made a, a formal presentation to Chris and said, okay, we think we should do this. And um, it's it's going to be kind of cool. It's an airplane extreme flight's never done before. It's pretty neat. And um, we're going to, I've I've got the uh, 35% freestyle version of it is just, just a few days ago finished um, the initial drawings. And um, being a 35% airplane, that's difficult. It's not impossible, but it's difficult for me to prototype here. It tends to stretch schedules out a long time doing, you know, making 35% molds. Mm-hmm. Even a seven, even a 70 CC, I can get through pretty quickly here. 35% is getting up there. And so, um, I was, I was glad when Chris said, well, let's do, let's do factory prototyping. I'm like, Oh, thank God. Factory <laughs> prototyping. I love factory prototyping. So we'll, we'll get that done. And, um, it's kind of cool because we've got a uh, test program with with Jace laid out, and we've got, let's see, I've got the deal here. It's actually going to be one, two, three, four, five, six. There'll be nine different configurations that we're going to be testing the aircraft in with different surfaces, different different measurements, um, and uh, this is really good. This is the most, I think. This is the most organized testing program of a new aircraft that we've we probably ever had. Uh, spending this amount of time on it, and so we've got um, we've got all of these different interchangeable surfaces that we're going to be using, and we'll get to fly them back to back. We're going to have we're going to have two basic aircraft setups with identical DA one twenties in them, identical MKS servos, all of Jace setups, and then we'll have. Uh, nine different configurations of swappable parts, wings, ailerons, stabs, elevators, rudders. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, I hear so, a, I hear a common theme though. It was drawn on a bar napkin. Okay. Yeah. That's, I am convinced this is where some of the best work takes place is on bar napkins because that's now we're getting up to where some of the aircraft in our lineup were originally planned on bar napkins because when you get right down to it, the muscle bike was a bar napkin thing. The Peregrine, Peregrine. Was a bar napkin. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Peregrine's definitely a bar napkin thing. Um, now this freestyle aircraft is a bar napkin thing. And then if we can get across the finish line with a new speed freak airplane, that's also a bar napkin airplane. So, but, um, 
that's that's good stuff you know arguing about airplanes <laughs> over drinks that's kind of the best so just out of curiosity what is the general time frame like it took you a couple of weeks to design it out so what's the time frame for that to come out of the factory if you're doing prototyping that way like is it a, a few weeks or a few months before you end up with your prototypes this one's gonna this one's gonna take a know. while it's yeah well i mean i can surmise based on previous experiences because this is if 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 what we were doing is we were doing a v2 say of something right um then that would be a process that would take a few months because you already have some of the tooling you already have some of the molds mm-hmm. uh, but doing an all new aircraft uh, like this is going to be a several month process okay. probably okay. to get all of the test pieces uh, built, covered, boxed, shipped, and then over to Louisiana. And um, then the the plan is it's really it's really pretty convenient now that the Ducias are in Lafayette that it's only about four hours from me. I can hop over there for for test sessions. So the plan is that we'll uh, we'll set up some test sessions there at their home field, and we'll go through the um all the different test configurations i i can't that's going to be that's going to be awesome i cannot wait i love an organized test program and so we'll go through these different things and try these different combinations and I like to take data on it mostly we'll take a lot of video because I try to use video to uh, back up test impressions as much mm-hmm. as possible and one of the things we started doing with jace is we're starting to cook up a suite of baseline maneuvers where jace has the timing very ingrained in his mind for the current freestyle airplanes Mm -hmm. and what we'll do is we'll fly the uh these baseline maneuvers with the new aircraft and we'll see coming out of the maneuver did he over control or under control because what we're looking for in general with the new design is we're looking for Jace to over control the maneuver a little bit. Okay. That means that he has more control authority than right. on the, right. the previous aircraft. And um, we first started using that. Um, that was something that Jace and I were, were talking about when we were doing the, the 104 edge, which is uh, an aircraft, which is in production and it's coming up this winter. And um, we started looking at, okay, well, when he's flying the aircraft and we're not calling the maneuvers, he's flying his routines. He's saying, okay, I'm over controlling it here, here, and here I'm under controlling it here. Here's the way it relates to the laser and the NG. And I thought that's, that's something we're overlooking. That's the basis of a better test program. If we can do these maneuvers in a more controlled fashion and we can see uh, where he's over controlling, where he's under controlling. Well, we're going to use that as a template for how we're going to test this new freestyle aircraft. So if we're testing combination, we're testing wing B with rudder two, then we're going to fly it through some of these uh, maneuvers we've isolated. um, And we'll say, is is the aircraft over or under with this combo? Then we'll change to the other aircraft with wings A and rudder two. Is the aircraft over or under? I think that's going to really help because at this point, um, to improve on an airplane like, for instance, the 104 Extra NG or the 104 Laser, they're pretty good. Um, you know, they're, you know, it's current world freestyle champion. The laser must be pretty right. good, but right. you can't <laughs> you, you you can't just go into the process and kind of cavalierly say, "Wow, we're going to do it better." You right. know, you should be really scared. You should be like, 
how am I going to do it better? What, what, what does it mean to be better? And so at some point you have to come up with some rationale. How am I going to say, yes, it's better, Chris, and you should invest these many, many dollars of extreme flight money in producing this thing. <laughs> so anyway, trying to quantify the process, does that make sense? Right. Yep, yep. Um, you know, trying to get real results that you can actually like prove. You can say, yes, watch this video of the new airframe doing this maneuver. And Jace is using the same inputs and you see how we've got an extra 20 degrees on it. It's over controlled this much. That's how much authority we've managed to get on it. Okay. That's actually something you can communicate and prove to somebody. And that's because otherwise you're just some guy calling from some flying field somewhere saying, yeah, it feels pretty good. That's right, not very right. scientific. <laughs> so I'm gotcha. always trying to make things a little more legitimate. Yeah. Measurable results is a, a big thing. You know, like you see guys like, oh, this thing flies so much better with this prop or this prop. It's like, really? How do you know? You know, um, you know the other thing about that, and this is something that I, I, I like to, to say, and most people, they don't, I, I, it's not the most popular thing to say, but it's absolutely provable that this is the way humans act is humans have confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants something to be true, then they will usually go a long way toward making it true in their own mind. Mm -hmm. And if someone has just spent a lot of money on something, for instance, it's going to be much more likely that it's the greatest thing in the whole world than that it's not much of a difference from the last one. If they just invested a lot of money in it. And this is, it's a really dangerous thing if you're if you say I design, you say I'm a designer or a developer of something. Boy, you better be very aware of your own confirmation bias because if you just got done spending a month slaving over a hot CAD tube designing something, if you go fly it yourself, you know you're going to say, "Oh my God, this is the greatest airplane in the history of the world." It's, it's your brain <laughs> is almost going to force you into that. So yeah. then, what you need is you need an objective pilot, somebody that doesn't care that you spent months over a hot CAD tube. He just wants to win. Right. And then further, it's even better if you've got some way to quantify your results and make them more objective, right? Well, and to take that even further, uh, we talked about this on the last week's show about how there's a perception of cost versus value and so it, it kind of goes along those same lines like we uh we as americans equate to uh quality with a dollar amount so if it's something that's inexpensive it's seen as not a, it's seen as inferior to something that costs more money right and uh hundred percent that is absolutely true and that's why i think you know you can look at some airplanes that are being developed for the market right now and you know that the reports on them are going to be that they're the greatest things in the whole world because they're obviously going to be the most expensive airplanes on the market is that going to be true well i'll tell you if i ever get to fly them well and and that's that's where i mean this uh you need this subjective testing from somebody that doesn't really care or maybe they don't even know what the value of that, you know, like, well, this radio costs a thousand dollars and this one costs 250, but they don't, maybe, you know, in, in this world, you're going to RC pilots are going to know which one's more expensive, but it would be nice if you could eliminate that and get a true subjective opinion about something, you know, not have this, uh, like you said, this value bias or this, uh, you know, I've put all this time into it. So therefore it's better. You know, it's so much better because I've got this prejudice bias that you're talking about. So 
Yeah. And, you know, for most people in the hobby, you know, thinking deeply about the psychological factors that make them like one plane over another. Well, that's not, you know, that's not going to increase their enjoyment of the hobby. If you're, if your bag is, you say, we make great aerobatic airplanes and they actually really work. I kind of think you need to be able to, to back that up with some, some, some science or else, you know, what are you, what are you doing? And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to always try to, to back up what we're doing. And, uh, at least if, if I don't know, I'll admit that I don't know <laughs> and I'll try to figure it out. And, uh, but, uh, but I'm, I'm so excited cause I'm hopeful here. I'm hopeful that this spring I'm going to be out in a field in Louisiana and we're going to be doing, uh, like you said, blind testing because most of these pieces are all going to look the same. We're going to cover them all the same. It'll be very difficult to tell them apart. I ought to put, I ought to put stickers on them all identifying which pieces it is. And we'll go back to back one flight on one setup, one flight on the other. And I think we're going to get extremely, uh, useful test results because I've missed since I switched from being involved in auto racing to being involved in model aviation. The thing that I really missed was the stopwatch because at the racetrack, you know, at the end of the day, it was pretty obvious who had done the best job because they went the fastest. But a lot of times in model aviation, in aerobatics, it's a little more murky, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I like to, I'm going to enjoy quantifying this stuff. So that's, that's going to be fun. So for me, with the pilot uh, at the skill set of Jace, this is uh, not as big of an issue, but I'm going to equate this to uh, long-range shooting. And uh, in long-range shooting, you can take a very, very well-built rifle and uh, set up. You know, Matt. Matt's going to school me on this even because <laughs> uh, Matt's got some really cool stuff. But I could take my rifle and shoot it. And then Matt could take my rifle and outshoot me because he's more talented at it. And what I'm getting at is there's a point at which if you're not, if your skill set is so like, like mine, like we could take those 27 different combinations that you're going to create and I'm going to fly them and like, well, they're all great. I, I don't know. Pick one. Yeah. They're, they're good. It takes someone with his skill set to be able to say, okay, this combination, this set of ailerons performs better than these two sets, and here's why. And I think that's something to keep in mind, too, is you can have a really, really good aircraft um, that works for 99% of people, you know, because we can't tell the difference, quite frankly. Um, you, you've got to be able to do your job as well as the aircraft or the, or the race car. Uh, you know, or the rifle in my analogy, um, like you said, with the racing, with shooting, you've got a target or you've got a stopwatch that says what the results were, but sometimes were the results because of the gun or the car, or was it because of the driver or the shooter? And in this case, the pilot. So, you know, that, that bag of worms, when you're trying to optimize something, whatever it is, you know, whether you're trying to take a rocket and get to the moon or you're what are you trying to build the next great freestyle 3d aircraft you know that that idea that you have to reach a certain threshold before you're even testing um, that's absolutely 100 percent true when i worked in in auto racing um you know we had to 
we had to bring in the talented drivers and we had to pay them to do the long, boring testing days because you couldn't put a duffer in the car. If you put a duffer in the car, you would never even get it up to the correct temperature to yeah. get to actually get data on whether you had done something positive to the car and whether it was going to be faster in race conditions, you had to be driving it out to 97 or 98% of its ultimate ability. And then in that last couple of percent is where that car comes alive. And I can't even get close to that level. If I tried to, I would step over the line, I would spin off into the gravel, and that's where most people would be. And with, with these freestyle airplanes, you know, I can tell you whether an airplane has knife edge coupling because it's something I can quantify. I can tell you, you know, whether the airplane's relatively stable and upright inverted Harrier. I can tell you how many tenths of a rotation it takes to come out of a spin and various things. I can tell you basics about the maneuvers that I fly at my skill level. I would be completely useless in testing an aircraft to go to the, like, you know, Tucson Invitational or the FXFC. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to get it out to those outer limits. Um, where the airplanes in in orientations and loads that I can't even can't even put it into. I can't I can't generate as many G's of acceleration with one of our airframes as Jace can. And you get guys that are flying the outer limits. We have some great guys on the team. Uh, you know, guys like Santiago. They can uh, reliably load the aircraft to nearly 20 G's. Antonio can reliably load the aircraft nearly 20 G's. Um, you know, these guys are, that's the data you need. That's the kind of pilot you need to actually get data back. And like in this Peregrine project, you know, I went through a bunch of, a bunch of revisions of the design here in Texas because it was my lockdown project. Couldn't travel, couldn't do anything. So work on that airplane. And what I did is I worked through all the basics about, you know, Harrier and knife edge, you know, all the basic stuff. And I got a lot of work done. At some point I had to get out of the state I had to go and I had to meet up with the extreme flight team pilots because then is when I really started learning about the design and, you know, they, they flew the last three iterations for, uh, for testing. And, you know, we did so many changes just after the team pilots gave us feedback and, um, you know, because the airplane got pushed out farther than I can push it. And then I have to become a really good listener. Right. And I have to listen and, take notes and then try to revise and go back. But I fall back on all the skills that I learned back in the auto racing days. Cause I'm no great driver. I'm no great pilot. I'm much better at driving a CAD tube than I am at driving anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the other things though, is you need that you, you mentioned that they can con- continuous or consistently push one to its limits. And that's what it needs. That's what you got to have this consistency, you know, um, like myself and and many of us that are probably listening and and even on this call one day I'm going to be okay. And then one day I'm going to suck really bad. And, uh, you know, I don't know that, uh, some of the really talented team pilots out there, they don't really have those bad days per se, or their bad days are better than my very best day ever. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I was getting at with the testing too, is, you know, is they have to be able to consistently do a maneuver. Like you talked about, Jace has his little set routine of snap snaps on the takeoff and uh, you know, his first little 20 seconds. Uh, that's a very trained and very repeatable thing that he does. And I think you got to have that. 
Yeah, I you know, not being a great pilot myself, I I like being around great pilots. I enjoy working with great pilots. I like to watch great pilots fly. Total thrill, even at this point, so many years into it, total thrill to watch something that I've designed or had a had a hand in working on being really put through its paces by by a great pilot. That's still that's the environment I like to be in. And uh, you know, it's always been a necessary part to to do the job I wanted to do. Whether you're talking about cars or you're talking about airplanes, or if you're talking about rifles, you're talking about anything, it's always been necessary to to know those kind of guys, those really talented, really dedicated guys. Well, I, my hat's off to them. I mean, right. They make and I it all think possible. you're a lot better pilot than you give yourself credit for. I've seen you fly <laughs> a few times now and uh, not too shabby, really. So, you know what, you know what it is, is I've got a couple of tricks that I have learned, which I pull out every now and then. And um, if nobody's ready for it, you know, then yeah, I, people, oh, look what he did. But honestly, if, if you watched me fly any with any length of time, Oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's really awful. Hey, hey, we'll, I'll, I'll show you all of this at Superfly. This is going to be my first time at Superfly, so what should I expect? Uh, you know, I'm not real sure. It could go a lot of ways. <laughs> expect to have fun. <laughs> you're, saying, you're saying it could go bad. Uh, I was gonna maybe. Say, come ready to have some fun, and, and yeah. we'll, take, we'll take it from there. <laughs> right. Uh, be prepared to have a really good time. <laughs> We've been telling people if you're uh, if you show up and you're not having fun or you're pissing people off, you're going to be asked to leave. So uh, now nah, it, it'll be good. What to expect? Uh, I don't know. A lot of uh, a lot of different types of people and a lot of different types of aircraft, um, and just a lot of hanging out, BS, and having fun. Uh, that sounds like like my kind of thing. So I'm I'm gonna fill the whole trailer up with with expendable aircraft and i'll i'll come and we'll uh we'll, we'll do some we'll do some stupid stuff i imagine yeah a lot yeah. of uh low pressure no you know really low pressure environment in terms of uh you know we're not doing demos really per se and we're not necessarily doing uh you know just come and have fun relax well, that's good i'm i'm completely incapable of a demo so that's my kind of environment yeah <laughs> So it'll be good though. I was, uh, what are you planning to bring actually? Uh, well, okay. So there's a couple of things I always bring. I always bring the big MXS. Um, I'm gonna, I'll have the Peregrine freshened up with the T motor in it. And then, uh, I'm thinking about, I'm going to activate my, uh, my custom covered 91 checkerboard extra. And, uh, I think I may bring a jet this time. Um, I haven't brought a jet in a while, but I think I may bring a, a big EDF or something. And uh, you'll have uh, plenty of runway it, there for that. Yeah, so. it's it's paved, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. three thousand feet of it. Oh, I think even I could hit three thousand mm-hmm. feet of paved runway. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll bring a jet and uh, uh, I'll bring I'll bring something jet shaped. It's only and, sixty um, feet wide, so you know. Oh, darn, darn <laughs> the luck! And then. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I tell you, it's going to be the maiden. It's going to be the maiden voyage of my new, most prized possession that none of you are allowed to touch. I just got a JR Elite. I did see that. Yeah, and and yeah, I, and I'm, I'll show it to you, but you can't touch it. Okay. I, that's how much. That's how much I like it. Well, anyway, so I'm, 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 I'm slowly getting my aircraft. I'm learning. I'm learning the system. I'm getting my aircraft changed over, 
And uh, so uh, if I if I make any mistakes, I'm going to say, oh, I'm getting used to a new transmitter. But this I'm I'm in love. So I'll, I'll be having a deep and meaningful love affair with this transmitter at your event. So awesome. You, you brought up that T motor. Have you had a chance to compare that to the X Power 22? Oh, yeah, it's 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 pretty direct. All of these. Mo- can I can I rant for a minute? Sure. Uh, go for it. So <laughs> if you if you take electric motors, right, and if they're similar in KV and if they're not crappy, right, yep. then if you if you draw a line on a graph as the weight of the motor goes up, the power capacity of the motor goes up. They all have about the same ratio of peak watts per gram. Okay because they are basically made of the same materials you know you have the iron you know the iron plate uh, stators wound with if it's a good motor it's wound with good pure copper with very high temperature varnish they're using extremely high quality magnets right okay so you know this is an established technology and so if you're talking about good motors which the t motor and the x power are both at the very top of the market like scorpions are at the top of the market and you know you, people have their their pet brands and then you right. have real bargain basement motors right the ones where you can't count on it being made of good stuff all right, right. so when you when you look at these motors um if you want to know uh what the if you're looking at different motors for a given airplane and you want to know which one makes the most power it should be the heaviest one if it's not, then you might say, oh, well, maybe there's maybe there's something being left on the table here in design. The T-Motor 600 um, is a very high-quality motor. I mean, it's high-quality enough that we're actually going to sell it, which means it impressed us. Right. And, you know, it's it's uh, more than – it's 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 uh, basically – it's about 10 or 12% heavier than the X-Power is. And so all else being equal, it should have a power potential, about 12 percent somewhere between 10 and 15 percent more which is exactly what it has and so it's it's a step up in size and it's a step up in power and people now are asking and this is this is good you know we enjoy getting the question people are saying which one's better which one's better and i always say ah it depends what you want to do um you know if you have a plane and you definitely want a little power boost in it um then you know for sure go with the uh, T-motor. If you want to have a little bit of weight out of the aircraft, go with the X-Power. And the way that I fly, you know, I know which ones I want the different things on. For my for my monoplanes, like my 60-inch NG or something, you know, I'm prob- I, I will probably always prefer the uh, a little bit of weight out of the airplane. X-Power. But if something's, if something's a little bigger or it's got a little more drag, well, then that's the, that's the place I probably would enjoy the T-motor. Um, the, uh, like, you know, for me, now I know that you have a bigger, you have a 2000 on your, uh, a Raven, right? Yes. Clay does. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, I would probably say I would, that I enjoyed the the T motor a little more on that because the 2000 for me is just slightly big on that. Um, whereas the 22 is just slightly small. And so that T motor 600 probably for me would be would be perfect for that because it's kind of in between the two of them. And, um, but, uh, 
what I'm anxious to try, what I want to try the uh, T motor on. I think it's going to be a really good match for, and I've got it. I'll, I'll be doing that soon. I've got one on the bench to go in my game bird. Okay. And I think the T motor, I think the T motor is going to match the game bird extremely well. What, uh, what KV, uh, AM 600 is that, that you guys are running? It looks like they make two different versions of it, a 525 and a 555. I think. The, well, yeah, the, oh, I'm um, sure which one you guys were using. The, the, the 525 is going to work better in okay. our, for, for like, for the, for the game bird application. Uh, I'm still, I'm, I'm having to look things up. I haven't committed all this to my, <laughs> but, I wasn't sure um, I was looking on here, but it doesn't state in the Peregrine page, uh, which, which one that would include if you click it. So I wasn't sure. Yeah. The, um, let me see if I can find the KV value. Cause I just, I'm just, I'm new enough at this. I'm still having to look things up and re- rather than just remember them because, you know, they say the memory is the first to go. <laughs> I can, I can attest to that. It looks like it's yeah, a 525. So the, yeah. yeah. The uh, the five twenty five is the one that we're stocking. Okay. Um, okay. Which which makes sense because we want that slightly that slightly larger prop application for most of the stuff that we do. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, this this is nice. The um, the T motor system. It's it's really nice from a manufacturer or distributor standpoint. It's really nice to have plug and play stuff. Mm. That's extremely helpful. And the fact that the T motor has a matched ESC, I love, 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 love that, because um, you know, with the X Power Twenty Two, we've got several uh, ESCs that work well, but they're not branded with it. Mm-hmm. And so, like my favorite ESC these days to put on the X Power Twenty Two is the Avian. I like to put the Avian One Hundred on there, mm-hmm. um, but um, we're not allowed to sell it. That's a problem. And, um, the, it's not branded for it. And so it's, it's difficult to, uh, it's difficult to get that information out there. Also like the castle creations Talon 90 on the 22, although the Talon 90 has a distinct ability to make even the nicest, smoothest, highest quality motors in the world sound like a box of rocks. I was (laughs) just going to say, I, I had a Talon 90 with a Scorpion motor and, uh, it's, it's funny that this topic come up because uh, there's a guy out there that just put together a Raven yep. here in the last couple of weeks, and he's got the dual sky motor on it with the avian, and he was complaining about the, the noise, the screeching. Squealing, yeah. And uh, I ran into the same problem with a Talon 90 on a Scorpion motor. Uh, I just kind of wrote it off as, well, that is what it is. And then I see Terry Wiles with the same motor, running an avian 100 and it's completely quiet makes more power more efficiently and i was blown away and i at that point i kind of learned that you know what some motors just don't like certain escs this is a great topic it doesn't necessarily mean that the motor is bad or that the esc is bad it's the combination is bad yeah we've had that experience in a couple different things now Yep. So, so yeah, there, and there's a couple of things going on there. Um, one of the things that, so, so first of all, when you play back and forth between 12 pole and 24 pole motors, you're moving between two different worlds. And when you're in that mid size range of motors, like we're talking about in that two kilowatt range, you find that you have both camps are 
represented, right? You have the low pole count motors and the high pole count motors. The low pole count motors, uh, you know, theoretically should be a little less smooth. They should be a little less powerful. The high pole count motors should theoretically be a little more smooth, should theoretically be a little more powerful, but it doesn't mm -hmm. always work out that way because number one, you have to have a high speed microprocessor in the ESC to deal with commutating twice as many motor poles. And this is something that we went through over the last several years that we had a bunch of ESCs on the market that were running old slow chips and they just couldn't handle the, um, the high pole count motors. Now those are being weeded out of the industry. And now you've got more and more of the, the high speed, uh, the high speed processors. And so you have that as less of a problem. But the next thing you have is, um, okay, we talked about how I like to quantify things. I like to try to do things right, right, if I can. Mm -hmm. So the when we did our big development project to uh, develop the larger X-Power motors, being the kind of very literal thinker that I am, I said, well, we need to have a matched ESC for this. We need to make sure that it works well. And so I took the brute force approach. We talked to Castle. And we knew people at Castle at the time. Now, they don't work at Castle anymore, but they did at the time. We said, hey, we want to make sure we can recommend your thing. We're going to send you all the motors to your lab so you can run all the motors, so you can come up with the firmware for the motors, and then we can and have it. And we actually got them to do it. So we sent all these motors to Castle, so they ran all the motors, and then out of Castle popped a firmware, which you know, I think that the primary purpose of the firmware was to run our motors. And that was 4.22. I'm sure it also had some other things they did. I don't care what they were, but the main thing that I know is that after we had done this brute force expensive process, we got what we wanted out of Castle, which was we got a firmware that we now have. And for the rest of time, we can recommend as being the correct firmware that was written for our motors. Now, those guys that wrote that firmware and did that project with us don't work at Castle anymore. So the people that work at Castle now, they don't remember that. And so mm -hmm. if somebody calls up and says, I have an X-Power motor, what should I run? Castle very, very dutifully tells them, run the latest firmware, and it blows stuff up. And so then we have to tell them, no, 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 read the instructions, run 4.22. But the reason I bring all that up is um, th that does not what usually happens. Usually, an ESC manufacturer writes or steals or partially steals and partially writes or band-aids or whatever they do to get their firmware. And it doesn't come from any actual real world testing. Where did the firmware in XYZ brand 120 amp ESC come from? Do you know who, do I, do they know who wrote it? Do they know who they stole it from? Some guy walked in there with a, a zip drive in his pocket. Is that where it came? Probably. And so there's no organized testing for compatibility outside of brands, right? Mm. So if you have like a, a dual sky product or if you have a T motor product, then if they've got, if, if they're recommending something, well, you probably got a real good chance that they've done reasonable testing in their lab. And that's one of the things we like about the, the T motor and the T motor ESCs. Okay. A match system, right? And some brands offer this. One of the biggest issues that you have if you're going it alone and if you're just producing motors, then you have to do the work yourself, which is what we did with Castle.
And then thankfully now Scorpion's come along and Scorpion ESCs run really, really well with our, with our motors. And so we can recommend and sell those. And there's a couple of other brands that actually run us up, but it, we had to do all the legwork ourselves. Right. And so man, matched products are good. And this is where you get these weird incompatibilities that you're talking about mm-hmm. is probably because all these ESCs are basically running the same type or grade of processor. They all have the same ancillary equipment. You know, all the good ones are running very, very similar uh, effects, you know, field effect transistors. That's what their the primary power switching components are. You know, they're all pretty similar, right? These are commoditized things. So if one ESC will run a given motor and another ESC won't run a given motor, it's probably because the firmware was never tested on it and nobody bothered it just Mm -hmm. hasn't been done that's kind Mm -hmm. of frustrating so i look forward to a time i look forward to a time when all this crap gets cleaned up in the industry and either every single motor has a branded esc that you go with it and we know not to not to cross over or maybe esc uh, manufacturers get smarter and they make their escs where they'll run the majority wouldn't that be nice (laughs) well if if stuff just worked yeah and i've kind of taken the approach of uh trying to buy matched components uh like the dual sky that i've got in my raven i bought the dual sky summit 100 esc and uh you know that's a matched combo basically and i've been very happy with it and you know as we can see on this post that's been going around for the last couple days this other combination obviously doesn't work. And we know that the avian ESCs are good. They've been good on several other motors, but it just happens to not be on that motor. Yeah. It's a, it's uh, an, it's a, it's an incompatibility that yeah. in a perfect world wouldn't exist, shouldn't exist, but because no one got paid to make sure that it worked together, yep. it's not going to work together. It's just at, at the end of the day, um, you buy your branded matched combo. Somebody got paid to guarantee that it works together. And if it doesn't, at least you can yell at them. Well, and I was going to say, one of the things I appreciate about the way uh, Northwest has their website set up and the way Extreme Flight has their set up is you can combo all this stuff when you buy the airplane. And that's always a pretty good indicator of what would work. Like what works, what's recommended, uh, what's going to be the easiest fit. And uh, it, it just really makes the take some of the guesswork out of it for me. Um, I'm not saying don't go out there and experiment with other setups and things like that. But if you want to guarantee this is going to work situation, just buy what's recommended there on the site and go with it. Um, you know, the other, yeah, I, that's, I, I agree 100%. And when you see somebody that's got a bunch of mismatched equipment and they're trying to make it work and it was because, well, this was five bucks cheaper here and this was 10 bucks cheaper here. You know, you say, well, I hope you learned the lesson because you're all in. You spend a thousand dollars on what would have been a really, really nice airplane. And because you save 20 bucks here, you're experiencing nothing but frustration. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I just heard a story uh, uh, from a flying field a couple hundred miles away from me where a guy just sold his brand new extreme flight 60 inch airplane for for pennies on the dollar and the, a buddy of mine snapped it up you know of course you know somebody at the field's gonna snap that up and uh it turns out all the whole thing the whole problem was because it had a cheap 
missized motor in it. It didn't have enough power to hover and it was way tail heavy. And so my buddy put a T motor <laughs> in it with the T motor recommended ESC and then took it out there and flew it in front of the previous owner who was not happy. And, you know, that, that lure of putting a cheap motor or something in, in a plane, boy, you just can really mess up a good time, you know? And, uh, always, always try to try to tell people, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't go to that website. We all know what website I'm talking about where all the cheap stuff lives. Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't go there. Well, don't go well, there. If, if you, you do, if you go there, just get a Bixler and give it to your kid. Otherwise <laughs> don't go there. It, go there with the expectation of getting what you pay for. Yeah. Right. You, you know, uh, and uh, you know, I don't. <laughs> personally recommend it on certain planes but you know certain planes it is that's the correct route it depends on what you want to do with it and uh you know we've got this thing that we're cooking up for superfly that uh we need a bunch of parts from that site uh because it's probably not going to survive so <laughs> oh, I, oh I, I'm, I'm intrigued now Do we actually get to light it on fire or what's the How's oh, no. this thing going to go? Oh, no, we'll, you're going to we'll, love this. Yeah, we'll drag you into it. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I've been uh, drug into so many of these things, and I've, I've never regretted it at the moment. So this sounds good to me. Oh, yeah. You will go. need a receiver. Okay. I can probably source a receiver. I can probably do it. That sounds like a, a real good time. When I have to bring a receiver yep. uh, to put a quarter in the machine, I, I like that. Yeah, well, everybody that wants to turn has to provide a receiver. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. And do they all go in at the same time? I hope that it's like a five yes. pilot airplane or Maybe. something. Dude. Maybe. Is it Maybe. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think I know where this is going and I really like it. And I want the right aileron. <laughs> We're going to keep it a little simple. You get ailerons. Okay, fine. I want ailerons. I'll just take, I'll take ailerons. Don't give me rudder because I'll push it the wrong way every time. Give me ailerons. We're good. Uh, yeah. So like I said, there's always a time and place for these uh, inferior products is what we'll call it. So yeah, that sounds like a really good, but you know, if, if, if you have some knowledge and you can, and you can query the internet, you can occasionally, you can put together a setup of known cheap parts that will even work fairly well. Yep. But man, when you, when you just start mixing, matching stuff based upon what was cheapest. Oh yeah. Oh. And, and here's the inevitable curse. It's what I had on hand. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. It was in my toolbox. Yep. You know, and, uh, my scorpion castle experience was, that's what I had on hand. And, uh, you know, since then I've ran the other Scorpion motor I've got is running on a Scorpion ESC and I've had great luck out of it. And, uh, and personally, I kind of favor Scorpion, uh, particularly because of the Tribunus two and being a Futaba user, um, you, you know, they, they really play well together. Yeah. They've got the, the telemetry and all those things. So I really like Scorpion. My bank account, however, does not like Scorpion. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, a Scorpion fan too. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but you know, I know that there's a lot of other brands out there that are are very good. Um, you know, I used a, a going back a few years ago, I got a Torque 4016 with a Castle Talon 90, and I loved it. It worked great. It's actually still lives today 
uh, our buddy Bill down in Wichita yeah, Falls is still running that same motor in ESC that I've had. I bought that thing or I bought that combo years ago. You know, and, that, that 4016, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, being a, a previous, being a previous generation brushless, that 4016, you know, that thing's almost old enough to vote now. And, um, it, uh, it's, it's got more mass. There's more mass in the rotor assembly, like compared to an X power 22 or something. Mm -hmm. And that's what that castle appears to really need. It really responds to that. Um, it likes to have more mass, um, in the motor assembly because it quiets everything down and smooths everything out. The, uh, the X power 22 and the castle from a standpoint of flying performance, it, it's great. Um, but it's so noisy. And it goes through so many weird sounds on the run-up. That's what freaks people out about a combo like that. If a motor is open and lightweight, has a lot of airflow uh, channel in it, then that that castle is just going to make it sound, you know, it's going to make all these Buck Rogers noises and it's going to fart and spit and, and ring and ping and all that. But from a performance perspective, it runs really, really well. Um, I built a I built an airplane uh, last year. We did an ultra lightweight experiment with the X Power Twenty Two, just kind of to see what was what was possible. And um, not that it was for production or anything, but we did a um, we did a seventy eight inch wingspan aircraft with an X Power Twenty Two. The flying weight was uh, four pounds fifteen ounces, and with a thirty seven hundred milliamp lipo on and you know, that's not something we would ever produce. It was, it was an experimental aircraft, um, to see what we could do. And for that one, I, I put the castle talent on it. Um, it was, it was a good way to power the aircraft and, um, it, it makes all kind of noise, but great throttle response, great power, you know, it was absolutely no problem, but boy, does that castle talent provoke a lot of, a lot of customer problems and questions. Cause it's so, it sounds like, again, it sounds like a rock tumbling machine um, instead of a smooth electric motor, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard you, that on a few uh, different combos now that that uh, ESC and motor combo, it just makes a lot of noise squealing or whatever the case may be. Startup. Yeah. And that actually brings up something that, uh, I think it's generally accepted at this point in time, but uh, I want to get your thoughts and maybe a little bit of the science behind. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> so it's generally accepted on at least six S and up electric power systems that you need the motor to turn continuously. And I, I think it's a good practice from a safety standpoint, actually, but uh I know that there was some heartache and a little bit of a few issues there with people learning this. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So what's uh, what's kind of your thoughts on that? You know, with having like a power on switch to where the motor turns all the time during flight under yeah. power. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's absolutely necessary. We recommend it for one hundred percent of our customers flying any of our electric aircraft, and it becomes increasingly more important as you go up in motor size and prop diameter. Um, and what you what you have here is um, an ESC. Okay, so let's let's go back in time. Um, there was once upon a time before there were brushless motors in airplanes, we had brushless motor technology entered the hobby market. 
Um, it was big and heavy. Motors uh, were big and heavy. ESCs were big and heavy, but they were in RC cars. And the way that the ESC knew which way the motor was pointed in the rotation was it had a sensor on board. And ESC got information from the sensor. So the ESC knew where in its rotation the motor was, and it knew when to fire each of the typically three legs of the winding circuit, right? And then um, along the way, um, the technology to remove the rotation sensor from the brushless motor was developed. And then ESC circuits were developed that could listen. They would query the voltage of the motor circuits that were not currently under power so that they could infer mathematically when the magnets were passing by the stator poles and they could determine where the motor was in its rotation and you could fire the fire the fets and you could uh, fire the next uh, leg of the motor winding at the proper time right and we called these sensorless uh, brushless motors and sensorless brushless ESCs, right? I think we all know this is the deal. And once yeah. you got rid of the sensors out of motors, the motors got cheaper and they could get much, much smaller. People started putting brushless motors on shock flyers. They started building brushless motors out of disk drives. I, I was around for all that on the forums on RC group. We're trying, we're gluing motor motors together and learning all this stuff. Then it all becomes commercialized. People get really into flying uh, brushless motors and they get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we have brushless motors that are so big that we could hide a sensor in there. No problem. But for some reason, the industry has never gone back that way. We've stayed sensorless for everything. And if it's sensorless, then the ESC has a problem. The way that it normally runs is it, it listens, it detects the back EMF coming in on the dead motor legs, and it determines where the motor is in its rotation so that it can trigger the next leg at the proper time. But if the motor is not spinning, it doesn't have any of that data. So each of these ESC manufacturers does some voodoo that I don't understand because I'm not a double E. I don't know how all that works. I know the basics. I can, I can lie about it a little bit, but I couldn't actually write firmware. But I know <laughs> that they must do something pretty cool because they managed to start a brushless motor from zero RPM, which means they managed to start it with no data. So they have a pre-written, dumb startup routine that gets the motor going, right? And this is pretty easy to do if you've got a little tiny motor with a four-inch prop. It doesn't have much polar moment. But if you've got a 24-inch prop, say, on a big, heavy, brushless motor, the startup routine, that's some genius going on there. Again, I'm not qualified to tell you exactly the differences between different brands and things. I only have respect because that's a difficult job to get this motor to start reliably. With a giant prop and all of that inertia, that's a real trick. And if you listen, it's obviously difficult because a lot of current's passing through the system, right? Mm -hmm. And you know that if when, for instance, a brushless motor controller burns up, well, when does it typically burn up? If you were to, to statistically, you know, this one burned up at this time, this one, well, normally it burns up on a startup. And they used to burn up, you know, that was back when people called them castle cremations. Remember that? Mm -hmm. 
and oh, yeah. um, they oh, yeah. would burn up and shoot capacitors out of the airplane and <laughs> little smoking contrails across the runway. Normally, what that was is that was a startup routine on a big motor, and it, the startup routine was not capable of handling it, and it overcurrented the ESC on startup. Well, they've gotten better at it since then, and now all the ESC manufacturers have good startup routines. It's pretty rare to find one that has problems starting up, but it's still a trick, and it's still the diciest part of the life of a brushless ESC. Um, it's where current tends to spike. And so this is, we don't wish to do that any more times than we have to. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm actually equating this to some other things. So this is working. This conversation is going exactly how I wanted it to. Well, so what, what we have is, is we find, we find in general, in general, because we deal with thousands and thousands and thousands of customers that if, if customers habitually start and stop their motor in the air, all the time, if they habitually do this, they tend to experience problems. First of all, they tend to experience shortened ESC life. You can probably figure out why that is. Mm -hmm. Current spikes cause the thing to degrade and eventually it smokes. We also have, if a customer habitually starts and stops his motor in the air, if it has a large prop, you know, something big, 20 inches and up, we'll eventually get a phone call from that customer saying, it failed to start up this time. Well, yeah, I, I believe you. Uh, but, you know, about all you can say to that customer in that situation, maybe he had a dead stick, maybe he had a crash. You know, I don't. It depends what the attitude of the airplane was at that moment that the ESC failed to restart the motor. But when the customer says, "No, I didn't run an idle speed. I just start and stop the motor in the air, but this time it didn't start," I always say, "I believe you," because. Yes, <laughs> eventually that's going to happen. You're going to have to pay the piper. It's far better for the equipment. It's far safer. Um, it removes one obvious potential failure point during flight. If you have an idle speed, you have it on a switch. Um, that's also a good safety feature to have a motor start an idle switch to where you, if the switch is off, the motor cannot run. But if the switch is on, it goes immediately to a reasonable idle speed. Mm. The other little side benefit you get when you help someone set up a system like that is if they've been starting and stopping their motors in the air and you put them on an idle speed, all of a sudden their landings get so much more predictable mm. because now they have controlled drag on final approach, which is what we want. We don't want a stopped prop. A stopped prop mm. is is first of all, it's a lower drag configuration, but it also is not a speed regulating configuration, whereas an idling prop is a speed regulating configuration. So yeah, usually um, their equipment does better, lasts longer, makes less noise, and number two, their landings get better. So I recommend it. Does that, is that what you, that was yep. kind of the... That was absolutely yep. the answer I was looking for. That, that's I, good uh, info for sure. I, I kind of knew some of that, but not, I knew about 10% of that. So, well, and having, well, and, having raced and, cars you know, for so long, the censored piece, like we used to use censored, uh, the Tekken motors, uh, for instance, in a lot of our race buggies and, uh, you know, they always ran better than the sensorless stuff that we had, the cogging and, and the startup and just overall smoothness of them, uh, back then, of course, you're talking 15 years ago. But, uh, so uh, what I dream of, better. what I would like, what I would like, and, um, is to see someone bring back sensors for giant scale electrics. Yeah. That's, I think, I think it's so obvious, but you know, that's a, 
that's one of those reactionary cost-saving decisions, you know, because if you put a sensor back into a giant scale motor, then you'd have to have it be keyed to only one ESC, and then you'd have to write custom software for it. It would be a big investment for someone to do. And when sensorless works as well as it does, there's no outcry for a sensor. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely improved. Oh, well, you know, now, now, well, I don't want to sound like the old man in the room, but I, I am the old man in the room. So I guess I can do that. But, (laughs) um, you know, I, I was, I was one of the weirdos that was flying giant scale RC electric back in the day when it was kind of a stupid stunt. And, um, you know, we had all the problems. And if you got, if you, if you got more than one kilowatt, they actually sent you a sticker, you know, <laughs> because it was such a big deal. And then eventually if you got over two kilowatts, they still sent you a sticker. And then some of us were brave. We were in the three kilowatt club. Now just a basic 50 CC setup on any of these 50 CC airplanes is six and a half kilowatts, you right, know, right. but, but back in the day, you know, there I'm the wise, the wise bird. Well, I remember when it was three <laughs> kil- and I do, and nothing worked right and okay so the worst thing that happened to us this must have been in about 08 i guess we had a whole bunch of people that were flying three kilowatts on our 18 pound 50 cc airplanes and we thought we were the greatest in the whole world and we were so high tech and we all ran castle controllers and we all ran hacker outrunner motors and Mm -hmm. everything and castle had a firmware revision I guess back then it was probably in the ones or the twos, but they had a firmware revision and suddenly all of our motors lost about 40% of their power. And that was a real eye-opening thing for me. It was a, it was important for me as somebody that was involved in the industry and all of these things were important to put food on the table is like, ah, I cannot rely on these ESC manufacturers because they're not communicating with anyone. And that when they make revisions to their firmware, they're just doing it in their lab and they're not talking to anybody. And that was a big eye-opening moment for me at the time. And, you know, later, you know, all these years later, we brought it back full circle by saying, we will send you motors so that you can do and, you know, try to manage people according to what their, their, Uh their talents and and skills are. But uh, yeah, I hate ESCs with a passion. I hate them. Um, but they are a necessary evil, so we'll keep testing them. <laughs> so I do have a question related to this, and this goes into some of what I do at work. And uh, Mike Sterling and I have talked about this because we both do electrical-related work in uh, in the oil field and pipeline world. Uh, Mike's is a little bit more geared directly towards motors. And anyway, long story short, we got to discussing – uh, you take an AC three phase AC motor, uh, like for instance, uh, our mainline pump units on the pipeline are going to be three phase AC motors. And you take an, one of those motors and you swap any of the two leads, you know, two of the three leads, doesn't matter which ones, and you swap them, the motor runs the other way. Just like a brushless motor on an airplane. So are the brushless motors on an airplane simply three-phase AC motors, just like in an industrial application? Well, they're, whereas what you're doing is you are swapping the leading and trailing poles, um, which are leading and trailing because you have three phases which come in over your mains on the airplanes, the uh, the nomenclature is brushless DC motors because you have the 
switching array in the ESC, the uh, triple array of field effect transistors that create this pseudo AC, right? It's okay. it's not tr- it's not true AC. It's not a, it's not a sinusoid. If you if you put it on a if you put it on a meter, it's not a sinusoid. It's more of a uh, a square wave, a pulse wave. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's the the idea being that you you uh, have to have in order to turn a motor, even a brushed motor, um, you're creating pulsed power through the brushes which are switches right Mm -hmm. so you have to have a non-continuous voltage across your windings in every motor it's the the fact that it's non-continuous is what creates the potential for rotation it's a so it's a slightly different application you're using a true i mean you know more about mains power than i do i'm no double e but if you put mains power on a scope is it is it's it's uh, three sine waves out of phase, right? Yeah, you've got uh, essentially a, on an oscilloscope. Typical AC in the United States is going to be a wave where it goes up and down, passing through zero at sixty, 60. times a second, sixty hertz. Yeah, and, and so with three, three phase, phases, you have three of those yeah. waves, and they're they're equally out of phase. The the crests of each wave are equal spaced, and um, so yeah, you. And since you have that, that's a perfect companion to the mechanical design of the motors that you use. And so a rectifying or switching assembly is not absolutely needed. Whereas because we're supplying our assembly with DC out of a LiPo and we need discontinuous current and voltage, we have to supply the intermediate switching assembly. And uh, because that's done with transistors, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those waveforms and people that are arguing about about ESCs on RC groups will publish oscilloscope graphs and it's a it's a kind of a of an inferred little pulse wave you know it's got some noise at the top and noise at the bottom and it's not a perfect vertical because there is some switch over time for those those transistors they don't do it instantaneously they're not magic but anyway um, you know, you can, and I, again, I am not a double E don't, if, if, if I get any deeper oh. into double E than this, I'm going to drown. But, um, you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's so much math that goes into, uh, the programming of these ESCs. I'm amazed that we have them. I'm amazed that they run at all. Um, I'm amazed that anybody's firmware works with anybody's motor, even their own. The whole thing is just kind of halfway magic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and but again, that's why when I look at all of the problems that these things have caused in, to me in you know, my my career, what I do for a job, I'm like, just please, just please give me a position sensor, please. Come, <laughs> I, I want it so bad. I don't want to ever have to help somebody out because their stupid their stupid ESC is set to the wrong. Oh, uh, you know, the, yeah. the some, some wrong setting that shouldn't even exist in the first place. Um, anyway, I, I look upon, again, they're just necessary evils. I, I hate them, but we'll keep working with them. Well, I don't fully understand it. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to pretend to be a, an electrical engineer or anything like that. Um, but, but I do find some things fascinating. And, and one of the things I was equating our conversation about the uh, start and stop on the ESC and the airplane motors, uh, I believe, uh, I don't recall the theory, but uh, an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And uh, Newton, that, good Newton, guy. 
yeah and, and so the, that kind of comes into play with these electric motors and uh you know you take a, a prop that's setting at rest and you just hammer it with a ton of power well of course you're going to have a huge spike in in amperage because you're trying to force something that's not into motion in motion you're trying to force it into motion um and one of the things that I found really fascinating that happened to us at work is we have these three phase AC motors turning pumps. And so now you, you have a propeller that's turning a fluid. Well, airs is kind of like a fluid, right? It has fluid it's properties. A, it's a, it's a thin fluid. Yeah. We yep. can often, we can often ignore it because it's so thin, but I, with a, with a liquid pump, you can't. Right. Um, but one of the things that I found really fascinating that happened uh, we have this pump station in a, a small town of Allen, Oklahoma, and it's a very, very small town. But we've got these massive mainline units that pump fluid through the state. And uh, similar to these airplane motors, when they go to start those uh, pumps up, they have to start them up very slowly. So basically, they have to start them. They have to use like a soft start like you would see on a helicopter. They have to start them very slowly and slowly increase the RPM and the, the pump pressure effectively. And the reason for that is, is if they start these motors up and just put the throttle to them essentially and start trying to push a lot of pressure real fast and trying to get that because you've got this fluid that's not moving and you're trying to move this mass, right? You're trying to get that mass into motion. Uh, if they don't do it slowly, it will actually cause the motors to draw so much current that it'll black out the town. <laughs> <laughs> it will draw so much power from the power grid that the town will lose power. And uh, so maybe hopefully that kind of puts some things into perspective of you, you have to think about your, you have a propeller not in motion, a motor that's not in motion. That's why you can't start and stop this rapidly. You know, um, you need to, to slowly ramp it up. So, yeah, you know. no, that, that's, that is a great analogy because it is essentially the same problem. And, you know, we can see that if you, if you go too fast, you start too harshly on your, your, your town in Oklahoma and you black the town out, you have this deleterious effect because you ask too much of the system. And that's analogous to my tales of, capacitors blowing up and shooting off the back of of escs and and you know it's yeah exactly and and so looping all the way back to how we started here if you want to be kind to your equipment run it like a real full-scale airplane when you want to go out and fly start your motor and you don't stop the motor until you've taxied back you know off the runway and only then do you stop your motor and then you're very kind to all of your equipment and it'll last a nice long time we hope and we and hope. The, and the last thing, and we can, we can move on after this, but the last thing, we, we kind of dabbled on the safety aspect of it. And I've got a story involving the Extreme Flight Raven and a, a Dual Sky GA-1500. Um, our buddy, Kerry, he's, uh, he's actually the guy that introduced us to the Raven in this area. And uh, he was putting the very first one together, and he was building it on his bar top in his – in his house because uh, that's just how Kerry is. And, uh, anyway, he's, uh, he's got it sitting there on the table. Uh, 
it's near the end of the setup, so it does have a problem oh, no. at this point. Oh, oh I know okay. where this is going. Yeah, so not necessarily the safest thing, but we've all done it, so I'm not going to fault the guy for it. He has a motor arm and kill switch. Okay, that's that's how you're supposed to do that, right? But he doesn't have it set to where when the arming switch is on, the motor is turning. So it's it's basically, okay, I've got the motor disarmed. Throttle stick doesn't do anything. Motor armed with the throttle stick in the low position, the motor's not turning. So he thinks he has the motor disarmed. Oh, no. And his very nice girlfriend, Sarah, is there in the house as well. And she, for whatever reason, was at the front of the airplane at the oh, end no. of the bar or whatever. Somehow the throttle stick manages to get bumped to full throttle. And as we all know, electric motors do not stop. They don't quit. And so this thing hits her and it nearly removed a couple of fingers. I Ooh. mean, it was, it was really bad. Uh, she that still kind of really has a bad. weird, weird thing with her. Like her finger didn't heal up a hundred percent. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really messed her up bad. And, uh, you know, luckily Carrie was trying to get it turned off, but I mean, the damage was done. And so that's my big thing. After that happened, uh, an old man in my club had told me long before that, he said, electrics are dangerous. Glow power planes are so much safer. And I thought, yeah, you're just a grouchy old man. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> And then I thought about it after this happened to Sarah and I thought, you know what? Bud was right. Because if that was a glow engine, at least the engine would have quit. Mm -hmm. That electric motor didn't quit and it's not going to quit until you tell it to stop. And so anyway, long story short, I think it's a very safe practice because with gas and glow, when the motor's not turning, it can't hurt you. And when it's turning, at least you pay attention. Hey, that thing's running. Don't put your hand up there near the prop. Don't get in front of it. Those things. We need to treat electrics the same way. And uh, so that's my rant about using an arm switch. You get two things out of it. First, it's nice to your ESC. And secondly, it's going to make you aware that, hey, this thing is potentially dangerous. Yeah. I So I agree completely 100%. I've got a few stories to add to that. And uh, I, I've, I've made all the mistakes. Normally, you make mistakes when you're in a hurry, you're not paying attention. And um, I've also been at the field and I've seen every mistake made. I've been chased around the pits by other people's electric airplanes. I've seen people chased around the pits by other folks' electric airplanes. Um, I've had, you know, when I was first starting out, I had the classic experience of screwing up and the airplane flying across the shop you know and hitting the wall and most of us have done stupid stuff like that um it is difficult to make ourselves take it slow and be safe but god you, you have to do it you gotta take the prop off the airplane when you're working on it in the shop you have to just just be be a big boy do it. It's only if, if it's a little electric, it's only one screw. In fact, even up to a big electric, it's typically only one screw. Just take the prop off. And, uh, you know, you'll 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 thank me later 
when you screw up and the motor's going and you realize, oh my gosh, I, if I hadn't taken the prop off, I might have ruined something, ruined the airplane, hurt myself. The other thing is this, is that, um, you know, one thing that has happened over the last 10 years, and it's a it's generally a positive change for the hobby, generally a positive change for the hobby, is carbon props, even in small sizes, have become commonplace, more affordable, higher quality, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so, you know, airplanes feel fantastic with carbon props on them. There's no doubt. I'm looking at all my airplanes here on the wall, and the vast majority of them have got carbon props. But boy, you got to be careful. Um, you know, we we had a positive change for safety when most people in the electric aircraft part of the hobby ditched those stupid APC steak knives and put oh. nice, lightweight, monolithic beechwood props on their airplanes. And um, yeah, you know, the Zor and the Falcon uh, single piece beechwood props, they're fragile. Yes, you can hit a blade of grass, and because of the way that the scimitar blade is shaped, a lot of times you'll take the chunk out of it. We've all done that. Um, but one of the things that I always appreciated and liked about the uh, monolithic beechwood electric props is you, you couldn't take a finger off with them, not really. Um, you could hurt yourself. I've done it. Um, you know, and you, you can, you can draw blood and you can hurt yourself, but you know, like a, like a 15 inch beechwood electric, pretty hard to take a digit off with. Um, not so a carbon prop, (laughs) carbon props are incredibly strong and they, they will, will beat you and chop you up. And it was not very long ago. Um, uh, in fact, it was just at the event we were both at that, you know, we saw those pictures um of that gentleman that uh, lost the fingers off his right hand did you you know what i'm talking about uh, uh i maybe, think i missed that one when yeah we were, yeah you, bill was showing all you guys scaring you with his uh his absolutely leg right absolutely yeah. right yeah and um but anyway i got shown some photos and you know what although those photos are sad and gross um i appreciate when people show them to me every now and again because it's a good wake-up call to remember that um you know these that Props are props are typically the most dangerous things we deal with in this hobby. And we all got to keep our wits about us and we got to have good starting procedures for our gas planes. And we got to have good safety procedures for our electric planes. We got to think it out. And uh, man, I, you know, um, everybody just needs to remember that um, working on an electric airplane, um, you know, with the prop on when you're doing radio work, that's the danger right there. That's when you're going to screw up. You're going to reverse the throttle channel. That's, that's the classic thing. You go into your reverse menu to reverse a control. You're not looking what you're doing, and you hit reverse, and it was on throttle. You didn't realize it, and the damn thing takes off. That's, that's the mode in which you hurt yourself or somebody else. Now, what's the mode in which you get hurt with a gas airplane? Well, the mode in which you get hurt with a gas airplane is typically when you don't have a spotter, you don't have a human being holding the airplane back. The airplane's either tied back with rope or it's you're using a stake in the ground type holdback system and you're propping the airplane. And as you prop the airplane, you're pushing it backwards and the rope you're tied with is going slack or the stabs are being pushed back from your hold down. Right. And then when you start the thing, when it starts up, it starts up higher throttle than you thought. And it comes at you to the amount of slack you have in the rope or the amount of distance between the stab and your holdback, right? And if your hand is in that distance, 
it's coming for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, so you can, and it's that, that doesn't cover every injury that doesn't cover. People can say, well, I saw, yeah, I'm sure you did. There's all kinds of ways to hurt yourself, but statistically, those are the most common. Those are the modal type of incident. And so if you could, if everybody would agree that we're not going to do radio work on our electric airplanes with props on, well, you would take care of the majority of those kind of incidents for electrics. And if everybody could agree that, you know, we're going to, well, I mean, you could just say, you know, this is my rule. I, in fact, I had to follow my own rule today. I really wanted to go fly gas today. There was not going to be anybody at the field. There was nobody to spot for me. So I flew electric. Yeah, I agree with that one. I don't like to go to the field flying gas by myself. Yeah. Um, having, having had an injury myself with a gas plane about 12 years ago into my forearm because of not doing good safety procedures and not having somebody to hold the plane for me. And then having been at the field, whenever uh, Bill ran that one into his calf, um, that was a large electric wood prop that actually broke off in his leg. Mm. Uh, You know, it, uh, I'm a firm believer in some safety procedures. And I know like one, we were talking about uh, several weeks ago when Clay was down here, uh, I was setting up a, uh, you know, a, a kill switch for an electric and as well as an idle up so that it would spin and to put them in the same, uh, same switch, you know, when, when it's off, it's off. And when it's armed, it's actually turning slow. Uh, you know, we got to talking about that and it was a, that's a good idea as well. But, uh, you know, it, it, same thing with starting gas planes, you know, making sure that it doesn't have slack in it, that it still has its tension on it and having somebody there, you know, those are all things that I've become a firm believer in after uh, in, my own experiences. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I saw one, it, it, one of the things that's good to, to just trade anecdotes. If you see something, you know, odd, Hey, I saw this thing. Cause it'll keep people on their toes. Uh, I, I saw an incident that almost happened at the FXFC in France. And those, you know, that was 40 top pilots of the whole world. And you would say, Oh my gosh. And somebody screwed up. Yeah. Because it can happen to anybody. So a top aerobatic pilot um, almost, took somebody else out and the reason is because of the way they had everything set up um the startup area for the airplanes was way back from the runway it was a significant distance from the startup area and then there was a long taxiway and then they're in the runway and uh, if you know if you're starting an aircraft and it's right next to the runway typically like we do in the united states then if the airplane were to get away from you all it can really do is just run across the runway right Mm -hmm. but the way they were doing it in france there was all this distance between where the airplanes were being started and where the runway was. So you have one competitor lands and then they were required for safety to turn off on the runway, turn the engine off on the runway and not taxi back. Okay. That meant somebody had to go out on the runway to get the airplane. Meanwhile, the next pilot was flagged, start your airplane. And they're probably 120 feet behind the runway. Well, you got a potential interference there because you've Mm -hmm. got a running airplane pointed at the runway where there are operations going on on that runway at that point in time. And so if an airplane were to get away, it's going to be pointed at somebody. And I saw one do that. And what happened to the guy, it could happen to any of us. He was flying with a strap. And when he uh, stepped off of the tail of the airplane, after it was started for him, his throttle stick got caught 
briefly in the uh, clip that holds the uh, strap onto the transmitter. Mm-hmm. And when he when he moved the transmitter down in front of his chest, the throttle stick got pushed up. And because he had just stepped off of it, and of course there was no one in front of the airplane for safety, the airplane accelerated away. Top level competition, thirty five percent airplane, and now it is going hell bent for leather right at the people that are clearing the other airplane off. Now this guy was a great pilot; he did an amazing abort maneuver, uh, rolled away on takeoff, you know, and he missed everybody. And it wasn't that close a call, but you know, it, it stuff can happen so fast. And the only way, you know, we have to give ourselves every possible advantage we can get, right? Right. right. So that we can keep having fun. Because we all want to, you know, I don't, I don't ever, of course, want to hurt anybody and don't want to see anybody get hurt. And I, I've had some real good friends of mine that have lost fingers and pieces of hands and things. And boy, that's so sad because this is supposed to be all fun, right? All the time. And uh, if we keep everybody safe, then it stays all fun all the time. Yeah. And I think we all need to do a better job of thinking about starting up, you know, you mentioned starting up behind the pilot. Uh, I see a lot of times and uh, we'll start up, you know, someone else will be in the air and we're starting up an airplane behind them. Uh, Hopefully not pointed at them, you know, but just the noise and the things back there, you you know, and then you got to keep in mind about your prop wash. You know, I've seen quite a few flight lines where it kind of gets a little bit busy People's got planes staged, like even at Tyler, uh, people were staging their airplanes up there near the front, you know, and when you would start one up, you've got planes behind you catching prop wash. Um, you know, I, I would say we all need to work at being a little bit more mindful of what's in front of and behind the aircraft. You know, we don't want to break somebody else's stuff with our prop wash and we certainly don't want to hurt somebody uh, with a, our plane getting loose or God forbid a prop come off because of sheared bolts or something like that. Seen that you know, if too. I can, yeah. Oh yeah. That, that, that happens every now and then if I can, if I can get up on my soapbox and rant for a minute, um, <laughs> one, one thing that I do think we could do a better job at as, as a hobby and a sport is we could just be a little smarter about things is when you go to a fly in and you have a pilot meeting and uh, you know, I'm guilty of this too, because you know, you don't, you don't, think uh statistically and rationally when you're trying to get a pilot meeting done but you know you say for safety and you list all these things we're doing for safety and you know if somebody's gonna get hurt at that event that day they're gonna get hit by a prop overwhelmingly that's what's gonna happen and most of the things that we stress at pilot meetings have nothing to do with props and we talk about you know guys i want you to push your flying off the runway push it out over the field well that's statistically meaningless Um, whereas it's, you know, where, where you start the airplane and where you taxi the airplane, that's hyper important. And, uh, so I, I think, I think I'm going to make it a point that whenever I run a pilot meeting from now on, I'm going to stress a little more about what happens on the ground. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you just volunteered yourself to do the pilot meeting at Superfly. Good job. Man, perfect. 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 That's fine. That's fine. As long as you don't mind the pilot speech being PG 13, you can make me do it anytime. Oh, I don't Uh, don't know. I don't think anybody will mind. (laughs) Yeah. This is a rated R event. This is adult (laughs) swim. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I I should fit right in. We'll, we'll, we'll tell the, uh, we'll tell the other side of of some of the stories then at that one. That'll be good. Well, gents, I'm about at my bedtime. What else do we need to need to cover tonight? Man, uh, 
actually, if you bring the Peregrine, that'll answer some questions I had about it. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I need to take a closer look at it because I didn't take the opportunity at Tyler like I should have. So yeah, yeah it's it's a cool little plane. You guys are, are welcome to welcome to try it out. Welcome to fly it. I'm I'm just proud. I'm a proud papa of that thing. And uh, man, I tell you, I've, I've been telling everybody we ha- we haven't had the meeting. We still need to have the meeting. I can't speak for Chris, but. I've been telling everybody, you know, they say, oh, when can we have a giant scale peregrine? I say, oh, well, we need to see if people like the little guy. Well, they, they've sold out. I think there's one green one left in Atlanta, and Washington has sold out, and Extreme Flight in Atlanta has sold all but one. That's pretty good. I was going to say the green good. is the only thing showing still in stock. The red is yeah. out. So, and, and, if, and I believe, I believe that as of today, that was the green was one. There was only one. And wow. so um, – that's good. So now we'll need to get some flight reports and see if people like the way it flies. I hope so. You know, I don't, yeah. it, as it's, it's, uh, I hope people like it. I like it. Our team pilots like it, but still you got to wait and see what people say about it, whether it hits them in the right place. But man, if people like it, then I think there's a real good chance that I'll get to do uh, the giant scale. And I really want to do the giant scale because it flies really nice. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing that I forgot to, look at was uh what you guys did on the wing attachment system that's uh, exactly oh, same thing I the, the bottom wings work just like one of our other 60 inches it's a latch on each side the top's really cool because the top is just one latch you fit you slide oh well uh, if anybody wants to see how it works they can just go to the the youtube video it's just about 10 okay. minutes long that shows the assembly of the thing and you can fast forward over showing me gluing stuff together and just go to where i demonstrate how you put the wings on and it's two latches on the bottom one on the top done you can do it in about two minutes really really keen and uh yeah and the other nice thing about peregrine is it fits fully assembled into a pickup bed of a you know in like my my ford uh i can just shove it in the pickup bed and if i have the rear seats up i can actually shove the whole thing assembled in the back seat area of my Ford. And that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I leave my smaller biplanes assembled all the time, but I have a trailer and I know a lot of guys don't, you know, a lot of guys travel in smaller vehicles and it's always a question. And the other thing, just from a hanger rash standpoint, if you can take it apart pretty easy, you're a lot less likely to hurt it transporting it. Right. So. Now that's uh that was my main question about the Peregrine, and uh, I look forward to seeing that. I do, I would like to see the Muscle Bite come to Superfly. I think it would uh, garner a lot of attention. I will say that. Oh, so okay. Um, I'll make you a deal. I'll bring it, <laughs> but we can't do anything stupid with it because it has to be alive for Nall in the spring so if you see me about to do something stupid with it you need to stop me say hey don't do that that's stupid (laughs) don't do that right so (laughs) like you know if everybody's saying you know rub something on the runway i need to stop i need to get the mxs i need to do it with that the muscle bite needs to remain in perfect condition so as long as we all work to make sure it stays in perfect condition then she can come out and it'll be a fun time and uh it sounds so good we have to we have to yeah, play it the sound if nothing else um but uh yeah you but, know you got got to keep it doing the, stupid the based on the crowd that i anticipate to be there i think a lot of people would really appreciate seeing that 
Yeah. Oh, it's it's such a pretty thing. I'm so proud of it. Of course, I, I want to bring it. Um, and uh, I, I presume we're going to be able to to burn some smoke fluid, right? It's going to be encouraged. So, oh, yeah. Okay, good, good. That's going to be a good time. You know, Tim claims he's going to put smoke on Miss Platinum, which, first of all, better him than me. I don't want to ruin mine with smoke fluid. Right. <laughs> Secondly, that's going to be incredibly badass. That first picture of him smoking it down with a 200 cc muscle pipe is going to be amazing. You know, speaking of Tim and, and that MXS, have you gotten the rudder back on it? Oh yeah, got the rudder, okay. rudder back on. So he <laughs> uh, he broke he broke the rudder off. He broke the rudder off, the servo arm off, broke the tail wheel off. I've got it all <laughs> fixed. Everything's back together, and uh, she should be ready ready for battle. Um, yeah. You know, Tim, I, I conned him into coming down. I don't think he knew he was getting in for it because I conned him into coming down for Southwest Jets in Waco. Yeah, Waco. And then um, I just said, and then you just stay at my house, my events the next week. And he didn't realize I had conned him into coming down here for, for 10 days. And so he got <laughs> he, he got the full Texas experience and uh, um, took him to several several good barbecue places. And, and I, I think he had a good time. I let him burn. I don't know. He burned three gallons of smoke fluid while he was here. I think he had a, I think he had a good time. So, yeah. Well, well we didn't t- con uh, Jace into our Texas experience, but uh, <laughs> we tried, but it didn't work out. <laughs> no, nah, he didn't fall for it. <laughs> he so. wasn't going for it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's, that's going to be awesome. And I think Tim probably already knows this and uh, I, I'm sure you already know this, but biplanes with smoke are really cool but they have one distinct problem and that is that low wing around the bottom wing. Yes. That smoke goes perfectly over the bottom wing and under the top, right down the side of the fuselage. (laughs) It's terrible. It's a terrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Now there's, there's things that you can try to do that never work to keep smoke oil out of there. And so that's why I just don't have smoke. That's why Chris doesn't have smoke on, scarlet that's why i don't have smoke on sapphire and we'll see whether tim all this big talk is going to actually manifest as lots of smoke pouring out of of platinum we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes but it would be awfully cool i put it on the only plane i've got smoke on currently is my mamba 120 and it looks awesome it is not awesome to clean up Mm -hmm. because all that oil (laughs) goes right down the side of the fuselage um, yeah, and it gets dripping wet. So, um, I need, uh, some of those new mufflers that, uh, uh, Sultan of Smoke is working on. So, yeah. So those look interesting. That's using a little bit of, uh, a little bit of thermo tech there to retain more heat in the mufflers. Yeah. Of course, we're talking about Kurt from, from Holy Smokes. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that he sent me some real interesting, real interesting photos. Uh, looks really good. So, yeah, I mean. You know, obviously, we have all messaged him and told him that we want the first set. I mean, I did. You did, too, right? Oh, yeah. And so I wonder yeah. who's getting them. Uh, <laughs> well, the first production set, well, that's up for debate. Um, I've actually seen some pictures and videos of the some of the test subjects. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I was going to say, uh, there's a couple of them running around that they're testing that yeah. uh, look pretty impressive. So yeah. we'll see. It looks like dense, dense smoke, man. It looks good. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to see. And of course, good dense smoke should have a lower uh, liquid percentage. It should actually be drier smoke. Yep. So that's what I'm looking for, right? We want more. And then uh, 
the other thing is, uh, man, I, some of the types of smoke oils that were in use in Europe were leaving zero residue, and uh, we can't get those particular brands over here. Uh, but, I would uh, speculate our lovely EPA has something to do with that. Yeah. Man, I have no idea, but boy, there's some. There, the tech is out there; it exists. I saw it. So, yeah. Well, one of the things that I would uh, hope that uh, DA does is uh, the slimline mufflers with the coils. I would love to see somebody bring that back. I'm sure they're expensive and difficult to manufacture, uh, but that really seems to be the trick is the preheating coils and uh, really getting that oil hot before you, you light it on fire, basically. Yeah, you know, I remember what we used to, yeah, because it's so difficult to get any smoke at all out of a 35cc. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the best trick was uh, wrapping, uh, putting the smoke oil through a copper line wrapped around the uh, muffler. And, you know, that, the downside was is that added, it added time, right, till you got pump engagement. But uh, that did, I'm, I'm also a believer in the preheating. Um, I would like, that would be a fun project to design the ultimate smoke muffler, but it looks like Kurt's pretty much done that now. So yeah, I hope uh, I needed to talk to him about it. And I think it would be great if it had some coils for preheat. Um, I, I like his concept with the, uh, the material that he's using. I like the concept of the injector. Um, I just think the preheater would take it up an, even a, a notch further. And then maybe we need to go back to the chemistry of the oil. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to leave that for somebody else because I don't have time to delve into it. And <laughs> I'm not, I'm no chemist, just like I'm no double E. I'm also no chemist, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. And if we could get it to fully and completely atomize and get away from the airplane, it would be so nice. You know what? I know a chemist that flies RC. I need to jog him on that and talk about that. Uh, absolutely. We need to kidnap him and we need to take him to a safe house and tie him to a chair <laughs> and make him give us the formulas for ultimate clean smoke oil. Yeah. We need to put him on that. Uh, yeah. You, uh, you know, Ty Keith by chance. Mm, I don't know. Maybe you'll find yeah. that names are my Achilles heel. I, I, yeah. I need to meet somebody at least 17 or 18 times before I can remember their name, John. You, you, might rec- <laughs> you might recognize him if you've seen him, but, uh, you know, Ty, I hadn't seen him around lately, but, uh, yeah, he's a chemist. I need to, need to call him up and say, Hey, got a project for you. See if we can get him inspired. He got all into race cars, so he hasn't been flying much over the last couple of years. Oh, that, that poor man. Uh, I don't know. His race car. It sounds really cool. He's into road racing. Um, with the, it's the Camaro ZL1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's does, right. That does sound awfully fun. That yeah. does sound awfully fun. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, it is late here. And uh, I think, uh, what day are you coming up to Superfly? One week from today? What day should I come to Superfly? Uh, well, it officially starts on Thursday, October yeah, 6th. 6th. And uh, let me see. I think it's going to be about a five-hour, maybe four-hour, four-and-something drive for you. Um, and then 
that we'll actually, I will personally be out there on Wednesday kind of doing field prep and things like that, but most everybody will be showing up Thursday. All right. Well, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll see when I can get away. It does sound like a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, guys, this is fun. I hope I didn't talk too much. Oh, uh, no. It's always good, good. time. You feel, feel free to edit most of that out. And, uh, <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, no. It's always a good conversation with you. Uh, it always goes into the details and stuff that uh, a lot of us don't have that, uh, you know, it's a lot of information I wish I had. So it's good to hear. Well, I I always try and and put disclaimers on when I'm getting into deep water and out of my out of my areas where I'm comfortable. But um, you know, doing doing what I do, doing what we do at Extreme Flight, you know, we 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 feel like we have to know a little bit about everything, right? Because so much of what goes on in the hobby impinges upon you know, like I said, putting food on the table. We feel like it's just a, almost a matter of self-defense that we talk to as many people as we can and we learn a little bit about everybody's job, right? And so I, I've got to know some amazing people and learned a little bit. I know just enough about their job to be dangerous. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yep. Well, well, I like no. Joe, even Super Tim's disclaimer a lot, and it's uh, mileage may vary. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I, I get a kick out of that one every time I see it. Well, that's, that's perfect. All right. Yeah. Well then I will, I, if you guys are ready, we'll, we'll, uh, click it off for tonight and, and I enjoy it and hopefully you have me on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Clay, you got anything else? No. Uh, again, look forward to seeing everyone out at Superfly. It's going to be a great time. And, uh, if you want to hear some, uh, some of the things that uh, might not can be said online, you'll just have to be there. If you know, you know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Oh, my right. gosh. And, uh, you know, you want to come out and, and see some of the stuff that we've talked about on the podcast in person. Make sure you're there. Uh, we're going to have a big variety of aircraft and uh, everything from semi-scale bipes to 3D to jets so jason's got some his jets he's bringing out and i think he's got a few other jet guys coming it's going to be a little bit of everything and i think everybody's going to have a great time biggest rule don't be a pain in the ass have fun perfect yeah. i love fly-ins like that well i'm looking forward to it see you guys next week all right I'll talk to you then i appreciate it ben all right, guys, everybody check out the show notes for our affiliate links and sponsors. And uh, we have some event dates in there as well. And uh, we will see you guys at Superfly and talk at you next time. Y'all have a good evening. All right. Good night, everybody. See you.